2: There's some whores in this house, and that's a problem, because with today's episode being it follows, we're being pursued by a murderous demonic STD, and us being three homosexuals, I'm I'm sorry, but we're fucks. (laughs) There is no way in hell that we're avoiding (laughs) this fucker. My God, dare I say we gays are fucked, but thank God we have a surviving final girl amongst us. To help keep us safe and fight off the forces of evil. Isn't that true, Troy? We do.
3: We do. I think we need to get right into introducing them because these, these fucking demonic forces are coming <laughs> right towards me right this second.
2: I know. With all that, my blossoming sex life, I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I am screwed. Right? But my God. I mean, we've got Way Gonzales here from Death Drop Gorgeous. And- this is a final girl to rank up the top of final girls because you go up against a horde of drag queens. My God, that is horrifying. I can't imagine. There is
0: nothing scarier. There is nothing scarier than a horde of drag oh, queens. You're, you're preaching
2: the <laughs> choir on that. Welcome to uh, um, welcome to the Dark Night of the Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank
0: you. Thank you for having me. This is uh this is exciting. This is like this is like I've been looking forward to this for
2: a couple weeks. Now. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. We've had a few of the other. Uh, individuals involved with your wonderful project, and it's been, you know, mm-hmm. due time to have you on here as well. And now that we got you, we're ready to talk about a movie of of your choosing. You picked today's title, and uh, why don't you state the movie that you picked and give us a little reason why? Before we get into a little bit about who you are and uh, your experiences within the horror genre. So
0: we picked. Uh, it follows to review tonight. And it's it's definitely one of my uh, one of my new um, favorites. I think the it uh, it just had like it was a, a different um, a different story, and um, I think it kind of came out uh, during a period of feeling a little bit uh, let down with horror. That like you know I was kind of sick of seeing the same. Like I I love a good remake and a good reboot or whatever it, like the kids call it these days. But I want I love to see something original come out. And that it follows was like a breath of fresh air when it came out.
2: Yeah, I hear you on that. If, it doesn't feel like any other movie I can really think of. Not at all. And that's saying a lot considering, you know, just the volume of horror movies that are, cranked out on a regular basis. Uh, I also want to acknowledge really quick that you pronounce horror the same way I pronounce horror. I cannot say horror. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say it, but I want to say horror. <laughs> so horror. I appreciate it. I, I may, Maybe I heard it wrong, but it sure sounds like you say it the same way I do. I, um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I do.
0: I, I think yeah. You're going to be adopted into the New England culture, I guess. Uh,
2: horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, no, I, I was so excited. I saw you. I like. I remember seeing you post about this title on social media Mm -hmm. months ago, and I was like, ooh, if we can get him for that episode, that'd be awesome because you expressed that you liked it. I really like this movie too. It doesn't feel like many other movies that were coming out at that time it was felt very fresh very unique very original and it has that goddamn score oh my that, god that score. that
0: disaster piece score is uh, like it like he he might as well change his name to masterpiece because that's what this soundtrack is yes
2: yes yes and so i was just really jazzed to talk about this with you because i really i feel pretty passionately about this title i've watched it many times and there's a lot to explore with this film but before we get into that i want to talk about you i want to talk about when Gonzo's and what you have <laughs> brought to the the final girl or final gay uh ranking here you know you are now one of the survivors of a horror film you make it to you know through the whole course of the movie not to give spoilers but i'm expecting that our listeners have seen death drop gorgeous and that they know about it because it is a prime example of the kind of the queer lgbtq horror surge that we're seeing right now and we're starting to see more and more of these little movies pop up but I really feel I like love your it. title was like the little movie that could. It started off really small. And it just kept growing and gaining all this momentum. And like you have to be reeling from it. How are you feeling?
0: Uh it's it's sometimes it's a bit overwhelming, but it's it's cool to join the ranks of like, you know, you as, you know, Summer, your, you're a final girl picks. It's it's I mean, it's it's totally it's it's totally a dream come true to like, you know, end up on Shutter and if you didn't know, we were already on we just the movie just premiered on Shutter on the 1st. Uh, it's also on Tubi, but it's just been, you know, it's it's a wild ride kind of doing, you know, something that you've always enjoyed with the people that you always enjoy.
2: Yeah. Troy and I have talked about it a few times on our own regard on here. We've also obviously clearly uh, chatted about it with um, Brandon and, and Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, and now having you, just how, you know, this movie, we, every time it comes up, it seems like it has hit like another landmark goal. Um, and, and now you guys are like, as you mentioned, you're on Shutter. Yeah. and for the indie filmmaker, I feel like right now that's like the pinnacle. That's the dream come true. Um, you know, it's being seen by the masses. Um, how? I mean, what was it? Was it a week two, around a week or two ago that it, it hit Shutter? Correct? Yes. Yep. On the first March first. Um, yeah. There we go. And and so now, like obviously, there's fresh eyes on it. You guys are getting way more of a response. Um, have you had anyone reach out to you? Like, have you seen any commentary on the film that's really specifically hit you or resonated with you? Um,
0: I, actually, uh, there was an Australian reviewer, um, that actually, like, he found, he found the movies, like, really enjoyable, and it, that was, it, that was just kind of like, um, you know, it was, it was your, it was like a, it was a really nice review, but it was so mind-blowing to see that it was coming from Australia.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That has to be so exciting. It's like, just wait a minute. Across oh, the yeah. globe, yeah. Like, wait a minute,
0: we're across the world now? Jeez. Then we did the Soho premiere, um, We did the soho film festival and that was like just to see like the reviews coming from the uk it's like wait a minute this little picture that we didn't we really didn't expect to get you know much out of it we wanted to just get it done and be in festivals and you know just you know it it was like a put up or shut up kind of moment for us and then to see that it's being recognized is just um it's overwhelming and like we we have such a um, a cool community that you know that we're so appreciative of for supporting us whether it be providence the horror the lgbtq plus community um the drag queen community it's just it's it's so overwhelming the amount of support this film's seeing
2: oh my god yeah i mean as a, as a gay man and a horror fan it uh it, it it tickles me to see that you guys are getting support outside of the queer community too like that that yes. i think is huge like as much as you want to be embraced by the lgbtq plus community uh, that and that is that's so important because there is a huge fan base within the community. To know that you have hit a mainstream platform in which you know people that may not normally seek this title out now are able to see it and being very receptive to this film. I mean, that has to be uh, a great feeling as well. And I'm so excited for you guys. I mean, seriously, it's so deserved.
0: Thank you, thank you. It's uh, it's so overwhelming. Like, I, and I've I've always been a huge fan of the horror community even before. I knew there was a, like, you know, a horror LGBTQ community. Um, so it's just, it's, it's super exciting to see like, you know, something that, I, that I'm in be talked about by people that, you know, we embrace all horror altogether.
2: But yeah, no, I, I, I think this is a sign of really awesome things to come for LGBTQ plus filmmakers. I, I think that this just shows that there is a fan base people are hungry for it and they're receptive to it.
0: Definitely. And just to see like this, the surge in queer horror, just um, kind of with everything that's going on in the world right now, uh, in the world, and, um, you know, kind of the things that are going against the LGBTQ community, seeing a lot of um, queer horror come out uh, um, is, you know, it's, it's really rewarding. And it's something that I think is, is necessary, as much as, you know, some people don't like horror, the queer representation is, is huge right now we need that yeah
2: Yeah. i will say this like and and troy i feel like i'm consuming this conversation so trust me i'll shut the fuck up here in a second but um you know i i i am somebody who i was like really hesitant on pursuing my next directorial endeavor just because i i was not sure like the the kind of reception i would get as a gay horror filmmaker and with my last film rebirth i saw like some slack back regarding this, portraying this extremely feminine gay character, which was intentional. I wanted that on purpose because I think a feminine gay men of, often get um, a lot of slack, and even within our community. And that yeah. was my, I wanted to purposely put a character like that in the forefront um, as, like, the focus of the film. But I was really, like, terrified of, of diving back into, like, queer horror for a second because I wasn't sure the kind of reception it was going to get. And seeing you guys like catapult the way you did was super motivational and was one of the big reasons I tapped back into a script. I was been working on since 2016, which is a slasher. Um, And, and it was seeing you guys receive the kind of like love and support from the community that you have was empowering. Um, It for me as a, as a gay filmmaker, it made me feel Like, I, you know, if these guys can do this, if these are other indie filmmakers who just, you know, they banded together and they made it happen and they said fuck you to everyone else who, you know, had any shit to say about them and you guys just (laughs) followed full speed ahead, like, that is inspirational. And so I think you guys are definitely motivating a lot of these other filmmakers out there who are, you know, grassroots filmmakers who maybe are scared or hesitant, not sure how people are going to take them as queer filmmakers, how people are going to uh, acknowledge them. And now they're starting to say, fuck it. You know what? I'm going to make yeah, exactly, my own art. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I'm going to portray characters that reflect myself and my community and how I see them. And uh, everyone else can go fuck themselves because this is my art. and And I'm so happy you guys just... You know, unabashedly gay. That you guys were just so fucking gay. Like, good Thank for you, you guys.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know what? It was it was definitely needed because we've had this conversation before in the past, Roger. Where there seems to be a significant, almost overwhelming amount of gay LGBTQ horror fans. I mean, I did not realize the extent of how many gay horror fans were out there until I got on, you know, social media and started joining these groups and realizing that there are just so, so many, so many. And on and not only that, there are so many gay horror filmmakers. Roger and I have talked about the fact that with there being so many prolific gay horror filmmakers, it is very surprising that you don't see more gay themed LGBTQ themed horror films coming out of the indie scene. And I, you know, I, I'm one, I don't have any room to talk. You know, I, I'm a gay filmmaker. I've had, I've made three feature films. My first film party night, not gay. My, my second film, Mrs. Claus. I I threw a gay character in there. You know, mm-hmm. and then with teacher with teacher shortage, which Robert Wo- Roger was in, mm-hmm. I, I really heavily explored a a gay theme, gay element to that film that was kind of interwoven into the plot that became an important part of the plot. Would I say it was like in your face, you know, queer, gay. No, but it's in there. And I feel like it was portrayed pretty realistically. But I have to say, like my my thing was and it has to be like. It's the only thing I can think of in terms of why so many gay filmmakers don't make. Gay-themed films, I think you do worry about like the reception. Yeah,
0: definitely, that you're going
3: to get from the mainstream. So it really is refreshing to see a, a group of of gay filmmakers take a film like Death Drop Gorgeous and and just and run with it and be un- unabashed with it and just get it out there and then see the reception that it is receiving. I mean, as a you know as a filmmaker myself, I would think that my film one of my films making it to shutter would be like the pinnacle of success for me you know i would i would count that higher than, than my film getting on netflix just because i'm a horror filmmaker horror is my thing so getting it on a platform like shutter has to be i mean i can't even imagine like the feeling
0: i mean it's it's uh, it's it's super cool to see like you know so much queer horror and like you know we like, I like we, you guys have obviously been making films a lot longer than we have. So, we, like, you know, so you guys are in a way like, you know, sort of inspiration for us. You know, we've caught a couple of your films before we ever finished with Death Drop. And it's cool. Like, you know, at the time, I actually didn't, I did not know that you were queer, Troy. But, but to see Teacher Shortage, um, that I think that was to see you explore that a little bit more was definitely fun. Um, and it kind of, it kind of shows, you know, some people and, you know, kids out there that, you know, queer people can be in all um, in all aspects of life. You know, you have queer educators
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, you know, drag queens being chased by Santa Claus. And, um...
2: <laughs> oh, oh, oh.
0: <laughs> the I was, like, like, what, I was like, what movie are you talking
2: about? <laughs> Lady <of laughs> Let's Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> the pinnacle of my career. I mean, I never, how can I ever top that nonsense? Well, uh, here we are. Here we are. Uh, wait, I do want to ask, because I'm curious, because since we picked a, a title... That's a little more, uh, it's a modern title. It's 2015. I, I was just curious for you because, I, I, you know, you and everyone within your group is very passionate about the genre. Um, what are some of, like, the titles that inspired you when you were really starting to, de- de- like, you know, develop an interest uh, within the genre? And what titles, like, were you introduced to at a younger age that really, like, stand out to you? I'm just curious. Okay. Um,
0: so my dad was a huge horror fan. Um, and I always wanted to watch horror movies with him. And one of the first horror movies I remember watching with him was *A Nightmare on Elm Street 3*, which scared the crap out of me. But and I must have been about three or four years old. But it, um, but it just I wanted to see it so bad, no matter how scared of Freddy I was. Things that inspired us with *Death Drop* were um, obviously we were huge fans of *Giallo* and *Suspiria* is actually like my second favorite movie ever. So, I love like the, 19, the, um, the 1977 Suspiria. Oh, yeah. And then, sort of like, you know, kind of the 80s slasher vibe that we're going with, um, as well as like the the, um, the Giallo, you know, kind of gloved hand killer kind of thing that we're going for. One of, and like the point of view camera thing, because my other favorite movie is Black Christmas.
3: Oh, that's my favorite horror movie of all time. I love Black yeah. Christmas. I have a Black Christmas tattoo. You're speaking twice. Yeah, I switch. have a Black Christmas tattoo. I mean, come on no way yeah it's on the back of my leg it's the eyeball looking out the door <laughs> that's amazing yeah i mean that's my my hey my second film mrs claus was heavily inspired by black christmas so it is one of my favorite yeah well it is my favorite film i would say probably my favorite yeah, it's film. my
2: favorite movie yeah 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 oh my god look at you two like, uh, we found love in a hopeless place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dark Knight. <of> <laughs> we, we found love, and or maybe we just found a one-night stand that uh, <laughs> will result in us being pursued by a demonic force for the rest of our lives. Either way, I'm down for it. It sounds kinky. I like it. Um, but, you know, here we are. Now we're talking about a movie that's pretty recent and um, is still having, I would say, some severe impact on the films to follow within the last few years after it was released. It came, it, it came out in 2014, but really hit like the mainstream vibe in 2015. It follows really chose to take just a different approach to the genre. And it paid off in spades, I would say, because as we said at the beginning a little bit, we started to dabble into this. It just doesn't feel like anything else that was coming out at the time, but Oh, how you see the influence of this movie in films. to yes. follow. Yeah. And I really think that that between the tone of the movie, the fact that they really chose to take like a character based approach to this film, like th- this film is about these kids and and the force that follows them feels very secondary, you know, in a lot of these movies, a lot of these slashers, it becomes the, you know, the killer first and foremost, and then you have, like, whatever fodder they're killing off. This movie is about the cast, and then this force that's pursuing them is just, like I said, very secondary. But I think that does this movie a lot of favors and makes this movie feel very, like, strangely relatable in a way. Uh, it provides just a very interesting experience, especially for those of our listeners who maybe have, for some reason, not not seen this movie. Maybe you're listening... To this episode because of our beautiful guest, um, but I encourage you to go watch this movie before we dive into it, as always, because this is going to be spoiler heavy, and um, there's a lot to really talk about. There's a lot of meat to chew on with yeah, this movie.
0: There's a lot to take in on this one.
2: Troy, what are your uh, what are your early thoughts on this before we get into like the, the actual linear story of this uh, review? You know, what are some of the things that really stand out to you about this feature?
3: I mean, I think you guys nailed it. it. It felt fresh, you know. This came out 2014. Horror was in a very predictable place at that time. It was, it was, it was remakes, reboots. Um, you weren't getting a lot of fresh, new horror. And so when this came out, it really, really did something that, I mean, I hadn't seen done in the horror genre in quite some time. And that was just inject a whole breath of of fresh air into the genre. It's not a slasher, you know, it's not a, I mean, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what type of film this is. That just makes it all the more intriguing. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about like it it being focused on the kids and, and, and and like the core group of, of young adult characters in this film. And oftentimes it feels almost like an eighties, like one of those eighties, kids buddy films like Stand by Me, The, the Goonies, uh, Monster Squad, because you were focused on this small core group of characters. And I also just find it so intriguing that virtually there are, there is no adult presence in this film at all. And of course I mean we talked about the score is brilliant. Uh, the cinematography for that—I t- I think the cinematography in certain parts of this film is kind of groundbreaking. Oh and yeah, you definitely see, like you said, Roger, I- influence from that this film had on other films, and this is kind of the start of what. What character is it in the in the Scream reboot that talks about elevated horror? She loves elevated horror. Is that Amber?
0: Oh, uh, Jenna Ortega's character. Uh, oh. Yeah.
3: So, uh, I mean, this—I for me, I think. It follows was kind of the, the start of that elevated horror trend, yes. where horror started to be, it became cool, and, and and you know appealing for horror to be smart again. I love
2: hearing you say that because yeah. that, that's a really good good way to kind of pinpoint the shift in tone of, of the genre at this time. This movie, it, it almost reads like a fable. In the way that, like, there's like a lesson to be learned it, for, for at least for the character of yes. Jay. The way this unfolds, like, it, it, it seems like there's so many layers to it. It's not like you're just watching this to see people die. In fact, the body count is pretty thin. What you're watching is really like this. They're they're trying to actually just kind of uncover what it is that is pursuing them and, and you're almost like watching like an elevated scooby-doo in a way <laughs> you know like it, <laughs> pretty much but i love that about <laughs> it i love it but what, what all, and it works in its favor because what really makes the movie scary especially on the first viewing i have to say this is a movie that I, you know once you know the shtick of it it's still very effective but the first time i saw this movie my god it impacted me but it's 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 the lack of knowledge or understanding for everybody involved towards what it is that's pursuing them. It's not something that everybody can see. In fact, only people that are infected by it can, can see it. But mm-hmm. still, like they can't pinpoint what it is or why it's doing what it's doing. They can't really describe it. So like that lack of knowledge for the focal characters and thus for the audience makes it seem that much more ominous. But this movie also just exists within a world that feels very gritty and realistic. Everything about this the setting that this movie takes place in feels like it could be next door.
3: Well, I think, I think it was very smart to set the film in Detroit. And because Detroit, as we know, has, has suffered, you know, a lot of economic devastation since the early eighties. So a lot of, a lot of the city is now dilapidated um, squalid. There are tons of abandoned houses and fact and, and factories that are just abandoned and they come into play in this film quite a bit. And it gives it. It gives it really that sort of isolated feel. I mean, many times in this film, it seems like the only people in existence are these kids because the the the, the surrounding, the setting behind them is uh, around them is so isolated. And it, I think it was very smart to set it in Detroit, in the, in the middle of this like d- just this neighborhood that looks like it has faced quite a bit of hardship. Houses are abandoned, and it, just, yeah. it gives that. It gives the film sort of this. Really, like Roger said, gritty, almost ethereal feel to it. Uh, And so I think the setting plays a a huge part in in kind of making this film what it is.
0: I totally agree with you on that. I think the uh, the setting, like even down to like, you know, uh, the main character's house, it doesn't feel like, you know, you're watching... You know, sometimes you're watching Scream and you're like, how much
1: did that house cost? Like,
0: you're like, you're sitting, you're watching this movie and it's, it felt like this could happen to you, that you're in your best friend's house or you're, you know, maybe the home that you grew up in. And it it felt very realistic to me.
3: Another thing that that is intriguing about this film is it's really hard to pinpoint like the time, like what year this film is supposed to be taking yeah. place in. There are so many, I mean, I think that's what, that's kind of what's going to get, make this film really stand the test of time. And, and, and 20 years from now, 30 years from now, people are going to be able to look back on this film and it's going to have the same impact because there is nothing in this film that is concretely two thousands. No, not really. it's really interesting. Like there's in some scenes there, the the, the the kids are using technology like cell phones, but then in other scenes, they're driving in like old late seventy models cars, surrounded by
0: other late seventy models cars. <laughs> yeah,
3: and their their wardrobe at times is very like early eighties.
0: Did you also like not gain a season from it? Like sometimes it looked fall, and someone's dressed as fall, and then the character next to them is dressed yeah. the summer. Like what was going like she's on?
3: in yeah she's in the pool like the, the yeah. very, we're getting into the film but but she's in the pool at the very beginning of the film and then the very next scene they're like walking in this winter attire yeah exactly it's just very i, I it's just jarring but it works like i said this film creates such a unique atmosphere and feeling to it that you know and it I know this film is super divisive. You you know, I need to, I need to pretty much leave all of these horror groups that I belong to on Facebook because (laughs) it's, it's this film. uh, Now it's like this film, hereditary midsummer. So people are constantly posting that it's the worst film they've ever seen. And you know what? You might not necessarily like, you know, maybe the story of it that this film tells it follows. You might not like the, you know, the approach, whatever, but I'm telling you, this is, I don't care what anybody says. This is some masterful filmmaking. And if you can't
2: recognize that, uh, I'm sorry. Before we get into the actual review bit too, cause I mean, it's coming we're on the cusp of it, but I do want to acknowledge one other thing, building off what you guys just said. Cause I, I think you're right in, in the fact that, uh, It does a lot of things very well with the somewhat small budget it had. It's like 1.5 million. I mean, it's still a a bigger budget overall, but it's not like, you know, it's not like a a $24 million slasher, like a Halloween or something. You know, this is a one point something million dollar budget. So overall, they spent that money wisely in in what they did with it. And one thing I think that's going to help it withstand the test of time, as you said, Troy, is the fact that they do not lean into or fall back on uh, heavy usage of CGI whatsoever. There are a few moments where it's used uh, in reasonable situations. Like towards the end of the movie, there's a few little occasions of it. But overall, this movie is pretty much void of digital enhancement. And And I think that really does this film a lot of favors. Uh, you, you don't see like, you know, ghost apparitions fading in and out or, or, you know, strange creatures that these kids have to go up against that are made completely out of CGI. No, this is all very much like whenever you see the, the ominous figure manifest, it's in a very like a standard everyday human form. And, and, you know that really plays into my fears even more because you, you could see these people like out on the street, you very much could see all of these forms that it takes seem very reasonable and uh, and rational in the sense of people you could see in a crowd, you know? And I think that does this movie a lot of favors. It didn't depend on any lavish frills or uh, fanciful effects. It, it's very just rooted in reality.
3: So shall we get into it? Because we are at the half hour mark already.
2: Oh my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Chad, just three cackling okay. hens, listen to us, <laughs> getting into it. But yes. Let's go girls <laughs> Alright It follows, follow us Listeners and real quick before you follow us Into the dark, don't forget to go And leave us a little love on our Apple podcast, we're seeing it now Because we know you're not going to stick around After we're done with this review to hear us babble about it So you have to be subjected <laughs> to us Pitching it, go leave us a review Leave us five stars, we'll keep having beautiful Guests, like Wayne you See, how can you resist that? <laughs> how how i ask
1: you
3: (laughs) and of course our patreon where we just we just posted a fun episode about what house of the dead (laughs) Dead.
2: (laughs) wayne you said you actually that's your guilty pleasure is it not
0: (laughs) it it's one of those movies that like it's uh it's so bad it's 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 so unwatchable that it's watchable
2: Wayne, I gotta say that one one of our fans, and listen, I love all of our fans very much, and I'll never say anybody's opinion is wrong. But we had somebody recently defend this movie and say it's actually like master class <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I don't know who the fuck you are or what movie you watched, but like <laughs> Jesus Christ, this movie is a is a dumpster fire, and like <laughs> that's a fact. But whatever, you know, to each their own. and I'll yeah. never shame anybody. For Love and House of the Dead. Though I may give you a side eye. Yeah, exactly. But uh, With that being said, it's on to It Follows. This movie opens on a very vague note. And I think that it does it a great favor. Because you're kind of launched right into the middle of, of this tizzy. With this young woman who comes bounding out of her house. And one thing I really appreciate about this opening is it immediately, immediately introduces you to a cinematic style that they use consistently throughout the film, which is like kind of this rotating pan that they do. And, and right off the bat, it's one of the first things you see is this kind of sweeping rota- rotating pan moving kind of throughout this neighborhood. It looks great. It's it's very suspenseful because you kind of take in the whole neighborhood, but you're kind of like, what am I looking for? What am I watching for? Something's about to happen. This is a horror movie. I know I'm supposed to be looking for something, but I don't know what it is. And that actually makes sense within this movie because you really don't know what the fuck it is you're looking for.
3: No, and she comes running out in a sensible. What is it? Short, short, short shorts and no, a top. Not at all. And, so.
2: She's a, like a silky negligee and high heels. With high heels, she's like a camisole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like
0: she went, like she goes to the high school in Euphoria.
2: <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, this girl—I don't know what's going on or what she was getting ready for, but she's in these pencil heels, sprinting through this neighborhood. That girl's gonna break her ankle. Well, <laughs> worse, worse. She does yeah. worse than break
3: her ankle. Good grief. <laughs>
2: But yeah, yeah, it's
3: it's very, yeah, like you said, Roger, very vague. You don't really know what's going on. She's running from something. There's even a neighbor like that's unloading her groceries that lives across from her. She's like, "Can I help you? Do you need help?" And she's like, "No, no, I'm fine." And then you hear her dad. Her dad comes out of the house and he's like, "Annie, are you okay?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." She like, t- but the way she runs. Like she doesn't run like straight into the house. She like takes this like beeline around. So it's like, she's avoiding something, but you really don't know what um, until she runs into her house past her dad and then comes darting back out with her car keys and gets in her car and drives away. And this is when the, the prominent part of the score kicks in that very, um, What would you call it?
2: Like a stinger almost like a stinger. It's
3: like an industrial. Yeah. Yeah. Very. It's the score of this film. I'm sorry. Should have been nominated for an Oscar. This is a great score. She drives away. And the next thing we know, she is parked at a beach, just sitting by herself with her car headlights pointed directly on her sitting there. Her dad calls her on the phone and she actually answers and she just starts telling them, telling her dad how much she loves him. She's sorry that she's, uh, has been shitty to him. And she just wants him to know that she loves him and mom. And then you get this really hard cut to her body reveal, which I remember when I first saw this movie really like made me like take a gas. Yeah. It's,
2: it's, unusually graphic uh, for just like hitting you that hard. Um, she's laying on her back in the sand and her leg is completely bent backwards at the kneecap, uh, completely busted with the bone protruding from it. But that high heel's still on, but she's, <laughs> <laughs> and she's laying there, she's dead. And it really, it is shocking because it's such a hard cut. And, you know, I'm going to throw back to our, our last uh, review real quick, because I want to do a quick contrast here, Troy. Last review, we covered Cherry Falls and we talked about the idea of, being disappointed when kills cut away, when it's kind of like a trope, when it becomes something that like a movie seems like they are avoiding showing anything suspenseful or like, you know, they, they they cut away and then they give you a body reveal and it feels like you've lost out on something. I think Cherry Falls has a few moments where it feels like it just didn't hit as hard as you wanted it to. For some reason, this moment does the opposite. The the decision that they made to not show the kill, but to suddenly give you this really hard cut to this very graphic reveal, it affects you. Like, you feel it. It's shocking. It works greatly in this moment's um, favor. And in the sense of, like, developing the lore of what this, this entity is as you learn more about it, I love the fact that they chose to avoid showing anything because at this point, they don't want you to know what you're getting into. It's it also kind
0: of like it's one of those moments where, um, usually, like when it get, when someone gets killed off screen, I'm usually pretty bummed out by it and I want more. This one was like the way it's so, it's done. It just it leaves your mind wandering and trying to figure out how you think this happened to her, and you're kind of just satisfied. Like you don't really need to see it. Like I think I think the um, the thought of it is enough to
2: carry you. Oh yeah, I wanna I wanna know what the fuck happened to this girl? Like, how did that leg get that fucking destroyed? You know, it is graphic, but yeah, you're right. Like, my mind kind of goes all over the place as to, like, how this thing actually managed to kill her. And and the fact that it sticks with you.
0: Yeah, she also looks a little embedded into the sand, like she's been shoved down.
3: Yeah, whatever happened to her was not pleasant at all.
0: She got fucked up.
3: Ooh. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> so we know, we know that you know something is going on, and it's something that is not quite like, like, like you said. We can't really see anything. We don't know what is happening. I think it's a very effective opening scene for this film because it really sets the tone and the stage for. I guess the whole film kind of leaves the audience guessing. In terms of, of what's happening and and if we if we're really seeing what we think we're seeing. There are many moments in this film where you're really questioning, okay, am I really seeing this or what's going on? Uh after this opening scene, we get introduced to the character of Jay, who is played by the lovely Makeup Monroe. I love her. Who has yeah, she's kind of has I would say she's boarding line on a on Scream Queen status. She's been in a lot of indie horror films. this one she was in the guest.
0: the guest is amazing.
3: I love the guest. I know I'm missing a couple but she very lovely in this very likable down to earth. I think all of the characters in this film the the, the kid characters are pretty uh, believable. You can believe that this group is is a or a group of friends that that, that would hang out. but she's in her backyard above ground pool just kind of swimming around in there. And her sister comes out. Her sister is Kelly. Comes out, ask her if she wants to go watch a movie because um, Yara and Paul are in there. She's like, well, no, because I'm going out tonight with this guy, Hugh, who we find out that she's been dating for a while. Her sister's like, oh, well, I like him. She's like, yeah, I do too. So Kelly goes back in the house and there is a scene with, where we see these like two neighbor boys like watching her swim and she's like I can see you. I don't know. These neighbor boys they they pop up randomly throughout the film. I kind of want to know what their deal is.
2: <laughs> I think they're they're lustful for her obviously these children just prying eyes. Um I want to say real quick just to kind of build off of one thing you said about not just about the character Jay but all the kids in general is one thing that really stood out to me especially this time watching it is is how like understated these performances are they are the across the board all of the kids are played with ages very like low key low like it doesn't even feel like acting in some ways it feels like uh, very like anti dramatic there are times that they're just sitting around quiet. They're not even talking. Like it feels so natural to me, the way that this is written for these characters and the way that these characters like culminate together. And especially as things start to happen to the character of Jay, how the circle of friends comes together to kind of just support her without question is written in such a very like believable way. It's so well handled. And I I very much enjoy the, the chemistry between this cast because it doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem exaggerated. It seems so very natural. And that does make for this whole, uh, for the whole film, because it really does almost in some ways, like you said, Troy, feel like a piece of an eighties nostalgia, the way that this is kind of like a, a a buddy movie in some ways. Um, it, It greatly, greatly assists the evolution of this story because while it focuses around Jay, it certainly is an ensemble piece.
3: The characters, the, their interactions, very natural. I, I think all of these, these kids are, are really likable in this film. And like I said, you believe that they're friends because at this point uh, she gets out of the pool. She goes in the, into the house for a little bit before she gets ready for her date. And we do get introduced then to the other two kind of main characters in this group of friends. You get Paul, who is kind of your quintessential kind of nerdy looking dude. Kind of looks like a grasshopper, you know, not, not the... (laughs)
2: Oh my god! Well, I mean, <laughs> what?
3: <laughs> oh, wait. How, I don't know. I mean, he has that. that look to him. It looks very grasshopper.
2: That's so specific, Troy. That's so specific. Really? He <laughs> <laughs> looks like a grasshopper. I
0: was gonna say, oh, oh my, my god! god.
2: I mean, what is this bitch saying about me behind my back? <laughs> no, he has that kind of
3: insect look to him.
2: <laughs> Try, you're just digging it deeper. <laughs> now I have to looking back up. Off to a strong start, guys. Okay. Oh my god.
0: Okay,
3: well that's Paul, and then Yara, who throughout the film has this weird contraption that is like it's what the fuck is it?
0: That clamshell looking thing. Yes, is it looks like it's like Ariel's bra. <laughs> it's
3: like a it's like a compact, a seashell compact. But you open it up and it's like an, a Kindle.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it was. It was definitely bizarre. And I think it was also one of those one of the pieces of technology that confused the timeline
2: for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I do. I, I hear that completely. Like, and what what teenager likes to read that much? <laughs> you know. But it did. It, it. But in a way, it added to her character because she yeah. seems she's she's just buried in this thing, and she's always like absorbed in this goddamn clam <laughs> like this little clam shell, <laughs> but um she's uh, but she's like she, her character is very like kind of uh distracted at all times that that is like her personality trait and like giving her this little item to constantly just be buried in i think just made sense it was this unique little piece this little prop that really just kind of evolved her character you know i don't know what the fuck it is but hey
3: i mean she was she was entertained <laughs> by it the whole film so there you go jay got gets ready for her date she looks very lovely in this pink yarn knitted on thing <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 troy i'm never gonna have like you know troy you should never be like in any way involved with a fashion industry like and now we have this beautiful young woman wearing it pink yarn thing. <laughs> you got a lovely crocheted knitted frock. But Troy's like, it's a pink yarn thing, and she looks great. Like... <laughs> and her puka shell necklace that also, like, what era is this?
0: (laughs) That took me out that the puka shell necklace had me dying. Wayne, I
2: see you as a puka shell kind of gal. There was a time you never wore a puka shell necklace? (laughs) No, no. Oh, don't lie to me, Wayne. No. no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And
0: it it wasn't just like a puka shell necklace, it was a choker. Yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) It's so, like, circa 1998. I loved it. (laughs) But it's, it's another thing, like, what
0: what year is this?
2: Yes, because
3: her, she goes, she gets ready for a date. She, we, we cut to her in line with her handsome date, Hugh, Hugh, quotation marks, Hugh. They're in line for this movie, and not. And if the timeline couldn't get even more confusing, this is not a AMC, you know, deluxe theater. This is a old time. Like, you have to stand outside at the ticket booth, like, one screen.
2: You got, like, fucking, you got Mildred on the goddamn, like, grand piano. No, not even, she's on, like, an organ, like, dong, 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 like, yeah. Like, it, it is very, like, preserved in, like, the 1960s. Even on the walls, there's, like, all kinds of, like, Asian decals and everything. I have no idea where this theater is, but I long to be in it. It looks like a great experience. Oh, yeah
3: they're on their date in the movies. And as they're in line, she suggests they play a game where they have to look around and choose someone that they would change or switch lives with. And then the other person has to guess who they picked and why they would want to switch lives with him with, with that particular person. So Hugh actually goes and he picks this little boy that he would switch lies with because he's basically says, look at how innocent he is just to be able to go back to that time where you're just happy and innocent. Who wouldn't want to do that? And they go into the theater, they have their seat and now it's her turn. So she looks around the theater and she's like, I got it. And he looks around to guess who she picked to switch lies with. And he's like, I got it. It's that girl in the yellow dress back there she turns around. She's like, where? And he's like, right there. And he points and we see nothing. We see no such girl in a yellow dress. And she's like, I don't see anybody thing. Are you teasing me? And he gets real freaked out. And he's like, Oh, uh, can we go? I'm not feeling good all of a sudden. So he takes her out. They leave the theater and she's like, why, why did you want to go? Did you see somebody, you know, did you see an ex-girlfriend? He's like, no, 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 I just don't feel good. And then we get this like quiet moment with no sound where they go to a restaurant and they're sitting in front of a window having their dinner and we can just see the faint figure like coming across the street like walking towards them i don't even want to say say walking what's the like stalking like swaying back and forth like heavy steps coming towards them before the
2: scene cuts i really like how delicately they introduce the presence of the of this ominous force uh that dialogue with the whole yellow dress bit—if you don't know what you're looking for in this, if you don't know what what's going on in the background—that you're kind of just going to blow that moment off a little bit, you know? It, it it's so subtle, it's so simple. It's a sign of things to come, clearly. But I, I really like how they introduce this element of the movie. Um, I do also want to say you you acknowledge Hugh as being handsome. Um, sure, okay, he is. If like, I mean, if you like white trash, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is hot. Okay. And, I, you know, and I, you know, I like white trash. I am kind of white trash, so I ain't going to slam on him. But like, you t- you look at this guy and even if there was not a demonic <laughs> aspect to this film or whatever this thing is, I would still think he had an STD. <laughs> this man reeks of STD. <laughs> like, he looks so seedy and gross. Uh, I wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. But uh, this girl's very smitten with him.
0: Oh, yeah, um,
2: I don't know i'd I'd give him my number, yeah, I don't what's wrong with you he looks
0: he looks a little dangerous, and i'm I'm looking for a little adventure.
2: <laughs> he looks a little weathered in my book <laughs> he, i mean i guess it makes sense yeah. he is being stalked by an evil force so he should look weathered but yeah he's cute he just like that he's got that one gold earring and i don't know you know we all know this guy and we've all probably slept with him too let's be oh right. yeah
0: and i think there's like a line where someone says that he's like 21 and i was like that's a hard 21
2: <laughs> yeah this man is but actually rode but- hard and put away like- wet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't get me right. He's he's handsome but 21 no.
3: <laughs> well but no 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 but but he's actually not even 21. He's younger. You 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 find out here later in the film that he's actually a high school student, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my
0: so, god. She's going to jail.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, I mean yeah, but he is cute. He just he he, he He hasn't slept for about three months, I'm guessing, because he looks exhausted at all times. Well, I would, too. Apparently, he's
3: sleeping with hookers and being chased.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. this moment transitions to um, one of the walking sequences that is are very reminiscent of uh, what we've seen in like the Halloween movies but I like that they took that kind of style of filmmaking where it's you know the cameras in front of the actresses and it's moving and they' they're, they're walking towards the camera it feels like they kind of brought that style into the new millennium there's something about it that still feels very fresh even though it does, look straight out of like a Halloween film, you
3: know? I like it because it's, it's a, oh, yeah. yeah, it's a very, you know, there's, there's a lot of swooping, sweeping shots of the neighborhood as the two girls are walking. And now, yeah, there she's wearing, she's wearing this um like winter layered ensemble. Jay is she, a, a, a nice, like long trench coat jacket and this like beautiful scarf. And she's all bundled up. Whereas her sister is wearing like this mini skirt with some cowboy boots.
0: Yeah. So I'm like shorts or yeah. something weird. Yeah. So it's, like, it's what? really hard
3: to gauge like what, when is this happening? Like she was just in the pool yesterday swimming. Now she's bundled up. Like it's goddamn the North pole, but her sister standing next to her in shorts and freaking a tube top. <laughs> I don't know. It's so weird. I just like the, I just like the, the just, yeah, it's, it's really hard to gauge what's go- it's the ambiguity yeah. of it. I mean, because there's, Everything is like a, a polar opposites in this film. Or
0: it's, It also has like the entire, the entire movie for me has a very dreamlike feel to it. So maybe that's one of those like things that they were kind of adding to it, just making it, you know, so dreamlike, you know, things just don't generally make sense sometimes.
3: Yeah, I get that. I get that. Surreal. They're just talking about the fact that Hugh was acting weird the night before. She thinks he does want to sleep with her, but last night he was just acting very weird, but they're going on another date that same evening and boy, do they go on this date? His idea of fun is to take her apparently to these, this abandoned factory mm-hmm. and rail her in his car. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But that, no, that's how you so got to He literally parks beside her. an abandoned building and bangs this girl in his back seat. Like, <laughs> I can't imagine a more romantic way to spend my evening. We've all been there. <laughs> girl, who you telling? <laughs> I, yeah, seriously. Like, one of the things that Gustavo said with this happened, he's like, if this was gay people in this movie, this demon wouldn't know what the fuck to do with himself. This demon would be chasing people left and right because <laughs> he wouldn't be able to keep up. This demon would be like... I give up. You gays are too much. But yeah, this poor, this poor angelic cherub. She's a, she finally rides this guy.
3: Is she really as angelic as though she tries to portray? Because she has slept with like everybody under the sun in this film. uh,
2: Because she, she, did she have a choice, Troy?
3: (laughs) No, even, even before, no, even before this scene, she was, there's a scene later on where she's talking about how she slept with this. uh, She's a whore. I, I don't care. She's trying to pretend <laughs> that she's not. But she is she says she, she slept with Paul, she slept with fucking that neighbor, that grungy neighborhood. You want to talk about grungy looking. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the Gregory or whatever. Greg, that yeah. Is.
2: I don't trust Ugh. I don't trust a Greg. No. Oh, I mean, <laughs> Greg, I'd ride like a bike. Girl. Yeah, <laughs> and those and those gray sweatpants. I'm like, you know what you're oh. doing, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> he certainly did oh my god we're speaking the same language today but oh my god but yeah so this this um this f- f- fucking you know romantic gentleman who is trying to sweep her off his <laughs> uh off her feet takes her rails her <laughs> and then as she's sitting <laughs> sitting there in the car admiring flowers he proceeds <laughs> to fucking drug the girl <laughs> like oh my god how quickly the I, I like
3: this scene. Actually, this scene is pretty tense. She is, she's sprawled out in the backseat of his car, hanging over the car. She's playing with flowers on the ground and she's talking to him about when she was a little girl, she used to have a dream. She used to have dreams about like the guy she would end up with and how romantic it was going to be. Mm. In the meantime, you can hear him in the trunk, like getting something. And there's a moment where it even sounds like it's like metal janging together. So you were like, and we, because we really don't know what this film is about yet this, you know, upon the first viewing, if you've seen it, obviously, but first viewing, you really don't, you don't know what this film is about. You just know that this poor girl got killed in the opening scene. And now this girl, so it, it almost is like, it's trying to trick the audience into thinking it may be like a serial killer type film. Like he's like a Ted Bundy character and he's getting ready to he's in his back trunk, getting his murder tools to kill her. I mean, that's I remember when I first saw it, that's kind of the vibe I got. Um, As she's laying in the back seat, he comes in, lays on top of her and like starts kissing her neck. And she's like, oh, she's trying to tell him a story. And he pulls out a rag that obviously has formaldehyde or whatever it is on it. And he, yeah, he puts it over her face until she goes unconscious.
0: It's such a vulnerable moment.
3: I mean, she's,
0: she's in her feels and then she's like, you know, she's in her feels telling him about her life story and uh, what she's already dreamed of. And she's, you know, she really likes this guy. She just obviously had like a physical connection with him. So she's like, it, it, it like for this part to happen is like, it's just, it's, it's at such a vulnerable time. Like, like I, I feel horrible watching that scene, but also how did he excuse himself to go get chloroform? Like, he's like, hold on, baby, I gotta get a cum rag.
2: Oh my god. It, the, this, this moment here really pops to me in the the dramatic shift in tone that we experience. Because up to this point there's been I mean, the opening sequence, yes, that was that was quite intense. But in, in regards to these characters and what we've seen from them and Jay's overall story thus far, she has no idea what's fucking coming whatsoever. She's smitten with this guy. She chose to have sex with him because she's starting to really like him. And so this hits out of nowhere. And I did love the detail of, as he starts to like mount her from behind, he's still kissing her on her shoulder. But it, it really, like, the, the word vulnerable, Wayne, was, was a really good term to use here because she's smiling and she's playing with this flower and you get this shot of her POV of this flower. Mm-hmm. And then when he, he puts the rag over her mouth, you see her hand go limp. And it's dangling against this flower. And it really does feel extremely vulnerable. And you feel for this girl. It hits out of nowhere. It's almost like dreams have just been shattered. Like her whole life is just
0: like uprooted right now.
2: And, and when you think of like, honestly, as we transition to this next moment, what's about to happen, what this guy does to this girl is horrible. Like it really is awful. This guy is literally using this girl as a tool for his own survival. He's a piece of shit. And he's somebody who like when you see this moment. You really want this character to get his comeuppance.
3: Well and I do. There is the moment though. When he is like holding the rag over his head. If you notice his face. He doesn't look like happy to be doing it. He, he's actually looks pretty upset. Yeah, he's he's he looks like he's about ready to cry, like he doesn't want to do this. He may like he maybe actually has feelings for her, Mm -hmm. but it's this is something he has to do. He doesn't have a choice because how else is he going to survive? I do like that. That detail.
0: It raised some other questions for me that I like I maybe we should like I should ask later on as we kind of get into it.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I definitely have questions about this specific character and why certain things play out the way they do. Um, but I really do like the the moment that follows here. When she comes to, she's bound to a wheelchair, and, and she's inside of this abandoned warehouse now. And she still does not know what's happening. She doesn't understand why he's drugged her, why he's tied her down. This whole sequence is very eerie. It's a great setting. It's very... Um, Foreboding. And he starts to give kind of this speech, just explaining the whole rundown on what is going on, why she's there, why he's done this, and uh, what he's experienced thus far. And he starts to tell her that something is pursuing him and it takes on different forms. And sometimes it looks like the people you love just to hurt you. And if it kills her, it'll. Come after him. And he has her tied down, not because he wants to hurt her, but because he needs her to know what he's saying is true so that she can... he needs her to listen. So she can listen and go into survival mode herself. Because if she doesn't survive, this is all moot. There's no point in him doing what he's doing unless she tries to operate with the same survival instincts.
3: And he, all of a sudden he tells her he sees it. So he wheels her over to the edge of the, like the, the building. And sure enough, coming out of the woods is this butt ass naked woman just walking towards him. I want a
2: credit like that on my resume, naked broad, (laughs) just butt, butt cheek naked, walking through a field for no reason. Um, But what an, what an intense visual. And also I absolutely love the choice to mount the camera on the wheelchair as he's moving her around and wheeling her around to the edge of the, the edge of the building to see this figure approaching. It's all done from the perspective of the wheelchair. Like the camera is obviously mounted. So as he wheels her around, uh, you're getting all of that motion and it looks very fluid and it's very intense.
3: Yeah. He, he tells her that she's going to have to sleep with somebody. He's like, I don't know what to tell you. Sorry, I did this to you. You're going to to find someone to sleep with to pass it along. The naked woman has now made it up to the fucking factory floor where they're on and like literally coming towards them. And he takes her, pushes her in the wheelchair back to the car and they, they take off. Takes off with her. So this dude, yeah, formed this relationship with this girl just so he could sleep with her. To to me, it seems like he probably could have found somebody to sleep with without going through the hassle of having to like actually like like them, date them. Yeah, I mean, here later in the film, Paul Paul has the right idea. Yeah. Uh, This this dude, I don't know why he spent so much time actually like dating this girl, taking her out, getting to like her. When this, he probably could have fucked any found a girl to fuck within a matter of like 10 minutes.
0: Well, I mean like his face from when he chloroformed her definitely says that he like, you know, he either felt bad about it or had feelings for her. But then now that we've gotten to this point, it does raise that question that I had was that, has he done this before? He seemed pretty prepared.
2: Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, how long has he been in survival mode?
3: Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe he did it to the girl at the beginning of the film and she got killed right so now the the demon is after her again so now he had to move on to find another girl to 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 do it so that's maybe where the story picks up with jay uh otherwise yeah because otherwise i I don't want to i don't want to think that the opening scene is just random
0: yeah or maybe this like you know this he's now in a desperate mode like maybe he's done this to a few girls and now it's come to the point where it's like his only resort is a girl that actually likes him and that
2: maybe he has feelings for. I was also curious, there's a point later on, and I could be wrong in this, but there's a point where a photo of, of him is discovered with him beside a girl. And I, it, it's, it's pretty quick. It's hard to tell, but I was like curious, is that the same girl from the opening? Um, I know we see her again later in the film in a different form, But I'm curious if there is in some way, if if we ever see something that basically suggests that she had a relationship with him and in some way, yes, either she passed on to him or he passed on to her and it was not successful. You know what I mean? Like, I'm curious what the relationship is between the two of them, but I like how vague it is because you're almost seeing this from Jay's perspective. So she would not know, you know, I don't think I ever
0: noticed that when you saw her again.
2: There's a point when she when they're leaving the beach later, and the form takes on several different forms. And the mm-hmm. last form it takes on as she's driving away is the girl from the opening. Oh, wow,
0: good. I, I never even caught that. and I love this movie.
2: It's subtle. It's super subtle. A lot of these forms, as you start to see this entity throughout the course of the film, are different individuals who you've seen in some context. like, At one point when you see the older woman, well, you just saw a a portrait of a young Jay with her grandparents. The older woman appears to be her grandmother. So, and as he said, you know, coming full circle with this moment here, it often takes the form of someone you know to hurt you. So, uh, and as we know later on, it does eventually take the form of her father. So this thing knows what it's doing. And it's oftentimes, I think, is tapping into the individual's psyche, trying to play off their fears.
3: Um, Kelly, Paul, and Yara are playing cards on the porch. They're playing old maid, which again, that's fair. That's a very like seventies, like card game to play, like, especially for teenagers. Right. But they're playing old maid when Hugh's car pulls up and in front of the house, he literally, you see him go to the back, open the door, uh, put something down. And he's like, remember, find someone to pass it on to and gets out and drives away. And you see that she's just Jay's just in the middle of the street, like, you know, freaking out. And so they run and get her and she is, um, just in her. Now it looks like she's wearing just like her panties and bra, like she's not even in her clothes, they call the ambulance ambulance comes and gets her. There's this huge, you know, neighborhood, all the ambulances are in the neighborhood. So across the street, Greg and his mother are watching on wondering what's happened. She's in the hospital. There's a scene where she is able to tell the police, like, where this happened. But she finds out that Hugh is not, was not this guy's real name. Like, he made up his name, he made up pretty much everything. So there's no trace of him.
2: You get a few of those moments here where they choose to keep it just silent, dialogue free. And I really like that. The moment of her just laying in the hospital, there's no dialogue. But you know, you see that this is being treated as a rape. I mean, you know, based off – this guy just dumps her out. She can't even stay on her feet. She's still, you know, probably recovering from the chloroform. She's in nothing but her panties. Like, it looks really bad on him. And they, they do – the cops ask, you know, was this consensual? And she says, well, yes. But after that, I, I don't know why it took the turn it didn't. I don't know the woman who – was, you know, approaching. I don't know anything about her or who she is or what part she played into this. So she acknowledges that she saw this woman to the police. Um but yeah then you get these really kind of creepy silent moments of like the cops outside of the warehouse finding her purse. Like they're treating it like a crime scene and, and Jay is very affected by it and understandably so.
3: There is a there's a scene where her mother is talking to the neighbor, but again we don't see her mother. It never shows the mother character in this film, you hear her briefly, but she's never shown. Upstairs, she is getting ready for school. She is—I don't know. She there's a scene where she's standing in front of the mirror and she pulls her underwear open and like looks down, like at her vagina, for a few seconds. And I don't, I don't know what she's. If she like gasps.
2: Well, no, I think I think there's a very intentional reason for this moment. To be honest, Troy, I think this whole movie toys with the idea of the, this whatever this is, it's passed on sexually. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think right now she's scared that maybe he gave her something like an actual STD. You know, she was, she had sex with someone who she knows nothing about this guy. He made up everything about his backstory, about who he was, his name. So for her to be scared of what he could have done to her, what he could have given her. I think that was the intention behind that. I don't
3: know. Well, Hey, I'd be scared looking at a vagina too. So I get you, sweetie. I get you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> same girl same. it was just weird it was like okay so she gasps at her vagina um yeah but you are damn right roger the gays would be in trouble if this girl's oh worried about
2: who <laughs> just add it to the list right. add to the list of stds because check off a box right
0: <laughs> yeah if she can if she can look down and gasp, imagine what you can't see
2: when you can't look oh behind you. Oh my god! Yeah, right. Um, I do also want to acknowledge at this point she there's a, a noise that hits mm, her window, it's and it's that a little ball. damn neighbor kid. Ah, he's, he's he's not, like right now outside he's on the, the, the window. Roof. <laughs> I know, prying, uh. prying eyes. He's watching her check out her <laughs> poo boo Oh, my God. He's probably in heaven. He has no idea what's going on in her life, but he thinks Yeah, Maybe a- she should have passed it to him. <laughs> oh, my God. That eight-year-old child. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, this movie is taking a dark turn. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I do like that at this point in the story, they... um. You know, the, the pacing is, is pretty... They kind of take their time with things. They let moments linger. They, they give you a lot of, mo- like, private moments with the characters. But once they introduce the fact that, you know, this has happened to Jay, and Jay is now, I, I guess we could say cursed with this. I don't know. Whatever we want to call it. It now comes about pretty fucking fast. <laughs> like, 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 once we realize that she's in danger... It's there and it's there to stay. And for the rest of the movie, she's running for her life. And this first sequence introducing the idea that she is being pursued is very well handled.
3: Where she, When she's in class, right? And she looks out the window and there's this elderly woman, very grandmotherly looking, but wearing a just a white hospital gown, black socks, some sandals, just walking towards her staring right at her, walking, walking across the, uh, the campus field towards the window. Of course she gets freaked out. So she grabs her shit, runs out of the classroom, uh, down the hallway. There are two girls that are having a conversation in the hallway. And as Jay gets out in the hallway and runs towards the end of it, she turns around and this old lady is now in the building, like just walking towards her, just hiking towards her. Uh, and she's like, hello. And the two girls look at her and are like, uh, hello. So it's kind of an indication that she gets, or and that we get, that the girls don't see this old woman. It's only Jay that sees her. Now, this isn't the most intimidating looking woman, but there's just something very unsettling and creepy about her gait and how focused she is on Jay and just stalking her.
2: Well, if you look back to a moment a, a brief moment that happened prior to the scene where there's the scene you mentioned Troy where the mother is talking to the neighbor you don't see the mom but they very clearly show in the background there is a portrait of a young jay sitting between her grandparents and the woman in that picture is the woman approaching across from across the lawn
3: well that's interesting because jay acts like she has no idea who it is
2: well and and so as this conversation uh, unfolds, though, with, uh, with the, the teacher, the moment with the teacher, uh, the teacher is having a very specific piece of dialogue where she's talking about Lazarus. And if you're, you know, ever practiced Christianity, you know that Lazarus was uh, someone who Jesus brought back from the dead. And while I, I mean, it doesn't directly tie in what a specific choice piece of dialogue to put in here the idea of including the dialogue of someone coming back from the dead and her seeing this premonition, whatever it is she's seeing, of this older woman in this nightgown. When you look at the portrait, the image of her when she's younger, when her mother's talking, she's probably like five or six. Yeah,
3: so she wouldn't know. She wouldn't. Yeah, remember. so she
2: maybe. Yeah, and so I think there's a lot to dissect with this moment. But I swear, like I went back. That is. That's the same woman. I, I I am pretty damn confident that that is the image of her grandmother approaching her.
3: Which just, yeah, makes it even more unsettling. I never, I did not, I, I would be honest with you, I didn't catch that at all. And then, you know, when she goes to, when she leaves school and goes to the um, ice cream shop that her sister Kelly and Paul work at, she tells them about the old woman and she acts like, like, so I'm saying she acts like she has no idea who it was. She's like, I don't know who this woman was. I just, she was just coming towards me. It was really creepy. Um, so yeah, I totally didn't get that, but I, I believe you, especially if it was when, if she was a little kid, she wouldn't necessarily remember her grandma. I don't know. Very odd. Very odd. Uh, Paul, Paul wants to stay over that night. They both say no, but then he's like, I'll just sleep on the couch. Bet you will. And so they agree to let him. Yeah. They agree to let them stay over. It's so weird. These kids, like even I would say even, uh, Jay and Kelly, none of these kids seem to have like parents that really give a shit what they do. I mean, these kids can go on road trips. They can take, they can go on weekend getaways and nobody seems to bat an eye about it.
2: Yeah. Uh, I I do acknowledge there's a moment where, um, uh, you see the mother passed out in her bed with her shoes on and you see wine bottles around her. So I think that it is implied that that is maybe just the situation that she's living in in a very turbulent home. Or, you know, her father, is. it's, it's made pretty clear that her father is deceased. You don't really know how, what, or why. But it's made pretty clear that he's no longer in the picture and the mother is not coping well. So I think the mother is just not very present. No. Yeah. Not at all. (laughs) <laughs> almost non-existent
3: none the, yeah none of the kids as parents are present apparently like i said these kids can pretty much do whatever they want jay's staying over with them there is a scene where she, or i'm sorry paul's staying over with with jay there's a scene where she can't sleep so she goes and joins him on the couch they have a, a cute little reminiscent conversation about their past and like he was her first kiss And he talks about a time that they found some porn magazines and spread them all out in the front yard to look at them. And um, his mom came out and saw them and threw a fit about it. And as they're talking, you hear very distinctly glass breaking, like a window being broken. Uh, So he goes to check it out and it's a broken, somebody in the broke a kitchen window. And he's like, I'm going to go check upstairs to see what's going on. You just stay right here. So he goes and leaves her and she goes into the kitchen and there all of a sudden is just the shot of this horrifying woman. Like, is she pissing
2: herself? Yes, she is. That's what I thought. Yeah. She's missing teeth. Her breasts. <laughs>
3: her t- her one tit is hanging out. Like she has, a bra- she has a bra on, but like one of the tits is just hanging Imagine- out. <laughs>
2: Walking into your kitchen, regardless of being pursued by a demon, imagine turning the corner and finding this dame in your kitchen, just Ugh. dressed out, pissing herself. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it is a shocking visual. Um, I, I find it so intriguing that some of the uh, forms that this thing takes are completely, it, it seems irrelevant, and others are very much intentional, but this, this specific one is... Qu- quite shocking and once she starts just pissing down her leg you're like what the fuck like this thing's getting pissed all over the place and i mean and, and Jane <laughs> takes off running understandably so because it is just startling oh it's pissing and it's following her and the score here again i want to announce the score again <laughs> oh yeah the score is perfect yeah. So she good.
3: goes upstairs and um gets in her room shuts the door Yara's knocking on the door. She gets up and answers it and opens the door and Yara's there and they get just get ready to come in. And then all of a sudden, I don't even know how to explain this. This fucking giant of a man like comes out of the darkness of the room behind her. I mean, this is pretty damn startling.
2: And when you think of the simplicity of, of what these reveals are, again, it's not like you're seeing some big digital monster or they uh, they literally just managed to find people who just look extremely unsettling like that elderly woman and now this very tall man and and um they put them in these scenarios that it's just it's just startling because you just don't expect it and this is definitely one of the best scares in the film i would say
0: no oh, yeah dead lakers player just scares the crap out of me <laughs> <laughs> he is oh my god ridiculously <laughs> tall and like has to bend over and get in the doorway like i i like i think i peed myself
2: yeah oh yeah i definitely if if <laughs> i'm right there with that young woman in the kitchen i'm leaking <laughs> down my thigh at this point because <laughs> this guy is horrifying out. yeah yeah and i love the fact that like it's it, this thing never reuses um, uh, of the forms it takes. It's not like it falls back on the same thing twice. It, In fact, some scenes it changes form multiple times within a moment. And I think that's really terrifying too because you just can never predict what you're in store for.
3: Well, she gets the hell out of there like I would. She gets on her bike and she takes off. Uh, she goes to the park. Middle, it's the middle of the night, keep in mind. But she goes to a park, gets on a swing, and it's just swinging there. And it's very unsettling because it's super quiet. You know, she's on the swing, she's very vulnerable. She's by herself, she's surrounded by like just trees and like anything could come out at any moment from any direction. And there is a brief moment where we see something moving in front of her to the point where she, she even stops on the swing. And as as we get as the camera focuses, we realize it's just Yara, Paul, and Kelly coming after her. Th- they uh, they rush to her and ask her what's going on, and she's like, "I just I don't know. I need to I need to figure this out." And then we see another figure coming towards them, but this time it's just Greg. Hey, Greg. Greg, who is the neighbor who's always washing his old station wagon. So he comes up and he's like, what's going on? And she's like, I just, I need to go. I need to find him. And they're like, who? And she's like, Hugh. So Greg basically leaves to go get his car. He turns around. They're like, wait, are you leaving? he's like, well, yeah, I'm the only one that has a car. So he gets a car. He gets his car. They um, drive through these old dilapidated neighborhoods in Detroit where the, all these houses are just squalid. They're, they're falling apart. They're either boarded up. They're abandoned. It's just very unsettling. And there's no one around. Because uh, apparently Hugh did take her to his house uh, one time. And he was embarrassed of it. So he never had her over there. But she knows where it is. So they go to this house. It's in this abandoned neighborhood. It's not a very you know attractive looking house definitely is in need of some repairs but paul goes climbs through the window they all go inside and explore you know we do see all of the windows have these strings with beer cans and pop cans hanging on them
2: i love that little detail of uh,
3: yeah you know. so it's like it, if anybody was trying to climb into the window you would hear these things jangle mm-hmm. right so and they're they're everywhere they're everywhere. Uh, Paul goes upstairs and finds a bunch of playpen
2: magazines. It's surrounded with fucking like jackoff tissues. Do you notice that? There's like I did. I did. <laughs> I, was like, I was like that guy might have been living in squalor, but he was still having himself a good fucking time. Oh my God! Must been after (laughs) his left hand.
3: I know. Did you see how many were on the floor?
2: that poor guy. I mean, you can't. I I guess he was scared to have sex with anybody at that point.
3: That was that was my whole like. That's what I gather. And I was like, why are they showing this? And then I was like, okay, he's for a while there, he was really scared to have sex with someone. Um, until he probably figured out what exactly it was. Yeah. Because he has all these, and these fucking women in these magazines are hideous.
2: Did you see him? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, let's be real regardless. I mean, like, I don't care how beautiful the woman is. I'd still be like, uh, uh, but, 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 uh <laughs> but, um, I guess for this white trash gentleman, he'll take what he can get.
0: I was more. I was more taken back by the by the magazine than so I was the cum rag. <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: oh, <laughs> a spank rag. Oh God! You use a rag? Oh, I just use a sock. Uh, <laughs> but then, as they're going through the porn, oh, right, fancy, uh, and it's the soft kind of tissues too. Um, but as they're, as he's going through the magazine, he finds um, a photo of this individual of, of of you know he's been going by Hugh, but eventually we do find out that's not his actual name. Um, and he's in this photo with a girl who's wearing a letterman jacket. It's hard to tell, just like a lot of these other moments, it's hard to tell if this girl is maybe Annie for a moment. I squinted. I was like, is that Annie? Maybe. Is that like, it's like a wink at the audience. Um, much like with the, with what I suspected the grand, the grandmother, I'm not sure a hundred percent, but I sure thought that was the fucking grandmother. Now, There's a lot of little things like this scattered throughout where you're trying to tie things together. But I have a gut feeling perhaps this is her. Either way, the letter jacket gives away the school that he's from. And so they use that as kind of like the breadcrumb to lead to the next uh, part of their slew thing. And I like that the plausibility here actually I think is quite smart. They think it out fairly well. And this makes sense to me why they would be able to find the next step of their journey.
3: They go to the school, they go in, uh, ask to look at the yearbooks until they find his picture and they find out his real name is Jeff. But I do like when they're in the school, we do get this scene of this young girl in, in a white, like white jacket that we see the second they enter the school. We see from out the door, we see her on the other side of the parking lot, start walking towards them. And as they're inside the school, the camera starts to basically go in a rotation and each time it hits the, hits the window, she's closer and closer and closer. It, it's really effective. And then when they leave, they get in the car after they find out his name, they get in his car to drive away. You see her like still walking towards them.
2: That's one thing that they do over the course of this whole film that is actually very unsettling. And one of the best, um, Tricks they use to keep the audience on the edge of their seat is after a certain point, whenever you see somebody approaching in the background, you're always like, is that the fucking, is that the, the it that follows? Like Is that it? Um, because they use that trick a lot, but it's so effective because you do not know what form this thing has taken. And it's, it's endlessly effective. I, and this sequence, especially, like, I want to agree with you on this, Troy. This scene pops to me. Again, the score in the scene phenomenal. The usage of that rotating camera movement—that they, that kind of sweeping pan—they use it a lot. It's similar to the opening sequence with Annie. Uh, They use it here as well to build tension, and it's it's quite effective.
3: So, what do they do? They go to Jeff's house, all of them, the whole gang, and she has no qualms about going up, knocking on his door. His mom, and now we see he lives in a nice, nice suburban house. Very nice. Uh, his mom answers. She asks if Jeff is home and and the mom's like, yeah, you want to come in and see him? And the mom even invites all the friends in. So we get this scene where they're in the backyard sitting in a circle and he is explaining to the group again, what happened? He said he caught this. He caught whatever it is. He caught it from sleeping with some girl he met at the bar and This whole time he's talking, we do see this like tall, lanky soccer player girl coming towards them. And again, it's one of those things like you just mentioned, Roger, where you're like, oh shit, is this, what is this? And he's like, hey, hey, can you see her? Can you see her? And everyone turns around. They're like, "Uh, yeah, we see her. He's like, oh, okay, good, good. And this girl's like.
2: (laughs) It's actually a funny little moment. I like that moment. (laughs) I do too.
3: Uh, And basically he tells her, you're going to have to go away, get far away from here for a little bit and decide if you want to pass it on to somebody and you know how you're going
2: to go about doing that if you want to a few things with this moment first of all they are way too cordial with this fucker uh-huh like like I wish I they showed the moment he arrived at the door and Jay just started wailing on him like I want to see him get his ass kicked by all of these kids so first second of all I like how it cuts to like them in the backyard sitting on the lawn and like they're like sitting with their like legs crossed like in a big circle like powwow style and again like i would expect there to be so much more tension but everybody's just like chilling there hanging out with this guy that you know just had sex with their friend for the sake of passing a demon on to her like everybody seems way too chill with this dude and i also am kind of bummed that this is the last time we see this character and you never have any closure with what happens to him because I really, very much wanted to see him, I don't know, get hit by a car or something something horrible. Have have a house land on him. I just I feel like this character <laughs> deserved so much more than he got. Cause he doesn't get anything. He doesn't get anything. Like this guy doesn't have any form of, like we said, comeuppance whatsoever. He just has this moment where he gives them more backstory and then he's never addressed again.
3: Yeah, it really is interesting that they don't give him any closure because he is such an integral part of the plot. I mean, he's basically the one that sets the entire plot of the film in in motion and then he just disappears and we have no idea what ever happened to him.
0: Well, as long as Jay's alive, he gets away with everything.
3: Yeah, yeah I guess that's what you're supposed to assume, but then there is the ending, um, you know, But we haven't, we'll get to the ending.
2: Well, and let me say, yeah, in the regards to like the fantastical world of this demon, but who's to say Jay ain't going to get in her car and run over his ass. So uh, (laughs) I'm just saying (laughs) she could, she could be taking care of her own business, but that's her choice. She didn't get it. That would be the ending we'd all need to see, right? (laughs) Absolutely.
3: (laughs) Uh, So what did they decide to do? Greg gets them all in his uh, station wagon. Drives him out to this old lake house that he used to go to as a child. And it is just a very nondescript looking place. There's nothing real fancy or anything about it. Just just looks like this white house on this like blase looking lake. But they do get to do stuff like she does shoot a gun. He does teach her how to shoot a gun uh, and stuff like that. And then there's this moment where they're all sitting by the lake You know, Yara's out there swimming and Jay and Kelly and Paul are just sitting in lawn chairs, kind of on the shore of the lake. When all of a sudden you see Yara approaching from the woods, but she's in the water. It's very freaky, grows up to Jay and like grabs her hair. And all we can see for, because we're seeing it from the perspective of like Kelly and Paul is like her hair being like pulled up, but nobody's there and she starts screaming and Paul takes a lawn chair and like wh- whaps, whatever it is and gets like, th- gets like thrown across the lawn. Like it's, it's a very funny looking shot. It's he's like catapulted away. Whoosh. Yeah. They run into the garage and they are basically pursued by, This Yara duplicate.
2: This whole moment, I think, is pretty expertly played, though, because when they're sitting on the beach, you don't see Yara in the water right off the bat. You see tight shots on all of them just hanging out in the sand. They're all sitting around quiet. um, And you see Yara approaching in soft focus in the background. And it isn't until they cut to the angle with the water in the background when she's getting closer, where you see her float into frame and, like, she's, like, f- floating in, like, one of those donuts, as you do, and splashing around that you as the the viewer realizes, oh, shit, that's Yara. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is that behind Jay? So by the time the, the, the entity reaches Jay and you see the hair go up, I really like the fact that, At this point, they let the others see firsthand that Jay is, in fact, being completely truthful that something is pursuing her, because what happens here can't really be explained any other way. You see a big wad of her hair get yanked up. She starts to struggle, and then, like you said, Paul goes and he beats the thing with a chair, and he gets launched across the fucking beach, Um, but it's very physical. And then he even shows, at one point, he lifts his shirt, and there's marks on on his stomach from where he got hit so this thing even though you can't see it it can physically impact everything around it and that makes it seem way more intimidating once this happens it's it's such a it's such a freaky scene too because
0: when it's impersonating yara and it comes up behind them it almost it like it has such a mission in its eyes and like it's just very determined and like it's just got like a type of a type of speed that Yara doesn't generally have, so you're just like, wait a minute, that's so. And then you see, kind of see Yara in the background. You're like, oh, that is not Yara. Um, it was I, it, that freaked me out instantly. But it was also like, well, did Yara? But the way she walked, up, I was like, was she peeing
2: in the woods? Like, she could do that in the water. Well, and the way, like, yeah, the way this is executed, I think is just very. Um, it takes advantage of every aspect of suspense mm-hmm. because if they get chased across the beach. Uh, Greg has wandered off to go piss. So he's separated from the group. So he doesn't really know what's going on. So when he starts to approach them at this point, Jay has grabbed the gun that he was teaching her to fire earlier. And she's just kind of firing at what appears to be nothing because the things invisible. So Greg just thinks she's fucking cuckoo bananas and starts hiding behind a chair. She does manage to shoot this entity. I like that. It can it can be injured. She shoots it kind of like in the upper shoulder area. It drops to the ground. They close the door. It starts busting against the door. And if you look here, I think this is so fucking cool. As you see it move past the window and the door, it takes the form of the tall man again for just a split second. Did you notice that? I did, yeah. Yeah. I love that, and then it's pu- it's beaten against the door. Suddenly, the lower part of the door busts in, and they're peeking through the slot of the door. And all of a sudden, that goddamn fucking creepy sh- neighbor child that pries through her window just start- comes crawling through the window, <laughs> like ah, like he's like hissing, making noises. He's <laughs> a- I think he's the scariest form of the entity in the whole movie. <laughs> Well, he's the most
3: aggressive, like he's growling and snarling and hissing, usually they're just basically quiet, you know, just silently stalking this one or or they're pissing themselves. This one is just like, so she gets out the other door, gets in the, gets in the station wagon. And drives oh, she away. She just leaves everybody, <laughs> leaving all the other, leaves it, leaves. Girl, everybody. you know that
2: would be me. I'd be like, "Fuck y'all!" Like, <laughs> "Oh my god, absolutely!" But as she runs away here, this is the point where the 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 entity takes another form and it becomes Annie from the opening for a moment. You just as just as she pursues the vehicle and all the friends come running up and they don't notice her. You know, obviously, only only we can see through the perspective. But you do see that it takes other form, and it's the girl that we saw killed at the beginning of the movie. That is interesting. I thought it was. Yeah, I didn't. I I totally missed that. I mean, I'm at least going with my gut feeling here. I hope I hope that's what it is because I think that's terrifying.
0: I mean, without the red heels, I guess I missed it.
2: <laughs> Valid.
3: Valid. Valid. She crashes the car. She she's going so far. She's driving so frantically. She crashes. into a a cornfield and I guess gives herself a concussion because she wakes up in the hospital. As she's waking up, she is kind of groggy and we see, is her mother in the hospital room with her? But we don't really, we we don't see her in clear focus.
2: Somebody's in there with her. Yeah, I'm pretty positive that's her mother. Yeah,
3: but we don't, like keeping with the trend of the film, you don't see her clearly. You see her through like groggy vision as she's waking up.
2: You know what that reminds me of a bit. Uh, not to drift too much, but just because we did mention this in a, in a review not too long ago, is the way they treat the parentals in um, "Let Me In," where you never see you never see the mother's face. Um, I, I I like that. I that you feel very much like separated from the adults in this movie. The adults don't fe- seem to have any any impact or place within this world. You know. Which
3: is really interesting considering, you know, kind of the, the, the main themes of the film, I think it's, it's really telling that they make the adults such kind of non entities in the film. There is this moment now where Greg crawls into her bed with her and they fuck. I mean, it comes out of nowhere. Like, I mean, you, it just really comes out of nowhere. It's almost like he rapes or like, he's pretty presumptuous because there's nothing. I think he's, isn't he taking one for the team? I don't know because there's nothing in the film up to this point. We do find out that they've actually hooked up in the past, but we don't know that yet. But there's like nothing in this film where I I felt like there was any sort of like, you know, attraction between the two of them.
0: I don't think it's mentioned until the end.
3: He literally like crawls in the bed with her, as she's laying there trying to, and gets on top of her, pulls his pants down, and starts fucking her.
2: There's a very telling shot though, uh, right before this moment where, every, you know, all of her friends are in the hospital with her as she wakes up, and there is this cool moment where she hears the footsteps approaching, and it turns out to be a nurse. But it just goes to show just how basically, like at this point, Jay cannot secure any like comfort or rest or uh, escape this thing whatsoever because it's always kind of present. And so she's just constantly terrified. So I feel horrible for her. So um, I, I feel like in this moment, because you see Jay looking at her and he sees her instantly start panicking. He's the only one who opens his eyes. So I feel that this moment is more along the lines of him knowing that she is believes that she's being pursued by this thing. So to give her some like peace and solace, he sleeps with her. Cause they all know they've all been told. Well, I'm sure that's the only that, reason he's sleeping with her. Well, then he wants exactly. to get it in. Yeah. And, I mean, but he's, I mean, he's
3: obviously he's super skeptical of the whole thing. Anyways, as we find out, like he doesn't believe any of this happened really, or he doesn't really believe that what she is saying is true. Um he thinks something is happening, but he's not buying this whole oh, there's some you know, so maybe it is the point to Roger where you where he is like saying, well, maybe if i can if I can get some pussy and make her feel good about it, hey, more power too. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I really think that's what it is. I mean, I think it's I think it's really you got you guys talked about like the what's your uh the Hugh slash Jeff character being kind of repulsive, which he is. I feel like this character almost in a sense is like equally because I feel like he's taking this moment. He's taking advantage of this moment and her vulnerability to have sex with her. Like I really don't buy that in this character's mind. He's like, Oh God, I guess I'll fuck her, you know? Cause I don't want her to be chased by this. No, he's taken total advantage of this because he doesn't believe her. So this is his opportunity to get some pussy. And of course she's, I mean, she doesn't really uh, fight him off. No, she's like, please, f- please sleep with me. <laughs> but there, 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 there's a moment that yeah. where some time they, they fuck time. Some time passes. It's like three days later. Uh, he shows up at the hospital to visit her. It's nice that he visits her three days later. Um, and she's like, have you seen anything? And he's like, no, I told you. I mean, I told you I wasn't going to see anything. I haven't seen anything. Nothing's changed. So it's, like, obvious and with his attitude, like, he didn't believe yeah. her yeah. at all about...
0: Well, so I have, like, a weird little theory about that, is that, like, he's he tells her he hasn't seen anything, and it's been about three days, and, like, it hasn't come after either one of them. Is, does it put the possibility that he maybe slept with a couple of other people, and that it reverses back? Oh, I,
2: I feel like people are dying left and right in this, this hour. Yeah, <laughs> but like,
0: he's... I mean, what about the two girls he was, like, flirting yeah. with Oh, earlier?
2: he looks like... He's a, he looks like a
3: scuzzball. He's probably like, fucking He probably anything. went
0: out and like yeah, he probably went out and fucked a couple other girls and then
3: once they die off it comes back to him. He's probably sticking his dick through glory holes, who knows.
2: You know, and um, yet again, the gays we would none of us would even know. We would never <laughs> we would we never would ne- even know. We would never <laughs> get the
3: we would never get the pleasure of seeing a woman with her tit out pissing herself in her kitchen because <laughs>
2: It would, Can you imagine? No, it's
0: like the <laughs> porn star that you, the porn star that you were just lusting over, is like walking toward you. and You're like, "Hey," and it's really like
2: it coming back. Oh for you. my god! Oh, it'd be so easy to get. Like, what's the thing? Finally, got us though. It'd be so easy to kill us. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, yeah, it, I don't know. I'm like, I, I think that he's just. I think my thing with the character of Greg is I don't really think he's a horrible person. I just think he's like a token teenage boy. You know, like, I mean, I'm assuming they're all like maybe 18, 19 years old max. These don't look like, like, they all look like they're seasoned elders. You know, they're all just kind of dumb.
0: Oh, no, I just think that he might be, he might have been a little more promiscuous than we think. And that, um, I mean, it's just like, it's kind of implied maybe that he has been hooking up with other, other women, other men who knows what he's into. And, um, and it goes after them. And that's why they had, you know, this three days of rest.
3: That could be, but I, I was going to, I was going to say, but you, you contrast his character with the character of Paul. And there is a very distinct difference between the two characters. So I don't think, I I don't think you just, you know, I mean, Oh, Paul, Paul is like really like all about like, he's he he is the one that really wants to he would take one for the team like he wants to sleep with her and 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 protect her um so there is that kind of difference between the characters that it's explored between paul and greg they're completely different in like their motivation and approach
2: i do like there's this one little moment that comes up here with greg where he comes to the house to see her and uh the friends are all sitting outside and they they ask if he's seen anything and he says no. And they all say, well, she's not lying. We saw it. Like, we saw the chair break. Paul acknowledges that he was thrown. Like, all of them are very much on her side. Um, I like the way this moment's written. And he's like, you guys saw something. You don't know what it was, but I doubt it's what she thinks it was. Uh, So, yeah, he is a skeptic. um, And so in that regard, he does kind of get what's coming to him.
3: Yeah, because he goes home that night. She's upstairs in her room looking out her window and her window happens to face his house. And it's very like Nightmare on Elm Street-ish, like between Nancy and Glenn, like they live across the street. They're always watching. She's watching his house. And all of a sudden this this guy and like this, what is he wearing? White underwear, long
2: underwear? I don't know. I don't know, but it right. makes that ass, that ass <laughs> pop. You <could> like, be- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That ass is so good. The water off of it.
3: But he, goes, he walks up to the house. He yeah. tries to open the front door of uh, Greg's house. It's locked. So he casually just picks up a rock and throws it through the front window and climbs in.
2: That's how you get shit done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean... But no one bats an eyelash, I guess. Right.
2: I mean, everyone sleeps peacefully through it. Um, But I do like this moment (laughs) because the form he takes is of Jay, correct? I'm pretty sure that he's actually in the form – or not Jay, uh, of Greg. He's in the form of Greg because when she sees him, she thinks it's Greg at first. And then it's not until he breaks into his own home that she's like, oh, shit, that's it. That follows. So she, you know, she busts out of her house. She books right over there. She climbs through this window. This is all a horrible idea because it's just putting her DNA everywhere. It's making it look like, you know, this girl is yeah. going to look like she's killing people. Um, but it does lead to a very cool moment and another exposed breast. What's with
3: the single? These tit? demons, <laughs> these demon women, do not know how to put a bra.
2: <laughs> I would love a good. Give me a single tit any day of the week. <laughs> they don't know both tits or no.
3: S- yeah, it's they like don't they know both tits nah. are supposed to go in, not one of them <laughs> hanging out.
0: It's almost like they thought their audience can't handle it. <laughs>
2: That would just, if I was a woman, that would be me any day of the week. One of my breasts would just be out. I wouldn't even know it. I'd be out at the grocery store, one breast exposed. <laughs>
3: it's me right now in a flannel button.
2: Oh, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Ample.
3: <laughs> Which, she goes upstairs and she sees it's Greg's mother pounding on his bedroom door. And she, She's like, what do you miss? Whatever. She's like, where's Greg? And all of a sudden, Greg answers the door. He's like, mother enough. We get a shot of it's The mother figure. Yeah. With her, one of her tits just hanging f- flopping out. And we don't really see what we see all of a sudden, it like leaps on top of Greg. Jay walks slowly to the room to get a look. And we see this figure, which is the form of his mother, like on top of him, like grinding on him and. It's very uh, uncomfortable.
2: I will say that if there's one thing I wish I could have seen more of in this movie, it's not parent on child sex, but it's like the aspect of I want to see more of what takes place when this thing does finally get its hands on one of its victims. Because I just found this sequence to be quite fascinating when she's you know, she walks into the room. It's lit really cool because there's an overturned lamp. So it's like caught this really cr- creepy glow to it. And his mother's mounted on top of him. There's this strange like... I don't know. It looks like what I imagine vaginal fluid. <laughs> like It's like this or like, you know, like uh, what is the, what is the, flu- when, when women birth, what is that? Like placenta. Ambiotic? It looks like placenta. It's an ambiotic fluid. She's covered in it. it. But she's like, she's like seeping this liquid. And yeah, she's like thrusting. She looks like she's basically humping his pelvis, but like in a vi- very violent way. I and mean, then it cuts to his face and he's like completely white. All color has been removed from his face. And it's quite effective. I just wish I could have seen more, not for the se- sexuality of it, but just to see like the process of what this thing does when it actually kills somebody.
3: I don't know. Is she like, is it sucking like in the, the, the blood out of it? What is he? I don't know. I don't know. But it looks pretty gnarly. Of course she, she runs off. She, she takes off. She gets in her car and just drives. Well, yeah, she's next. <laughs> right? You get the fuck out of there. She she dr- drives to the she beach. She stays long parks, enough. Yeah, parks on this in this random spot uh, and falls asleep on top of her car. As we all, you know, I would think it would be safer to fall asleep inside your car with the yeah. doors locked, but she's like sprawled out on the hood.
2: I do appreciate this next moment here. I mean, this is this girl really does go into survival mode and she kind of is just like, Fuck it at this point. And I like that about Jay. She wakes up atop her car, finds that she's, like, by a beach, one of the beautiful balmy beaches of, of Detroit, and she <laughs> sees it off in the distance, like, this boat with, like, these three douchebags on it. And she's still got this fucking cast on, by the way, so it's not like this girl is, like, an image of, like, walking sexuality, but she just takes off her clothing, gets down to her, to her skivvies, and she, like, starts wading in the water. And while you don't see it, it's heavily implied that this girl just swam up to this boat and got gangbanged by these three men. And I'm like, <laughs> good for you, girl. Like and Across the board. <laughs> yeah, like, across the board. Like I can't remember the last time I swam up to a stranger's boat and got railed. So, like, she's living, she's living my dreams, this girl. You know, I mean, good on her. Good on her, and I'm like.
0: When's the last time I've ever
2: gotten railed on a boat? Never, never. We're gonna have to change that. Not. I'm saying yeah. like individual, individually. <laughs> we're all gonna have to go find our own individual boat. uh, <laughs> boats. <another> is- <laughs> <times>. <laughs> all three of us. This is the challenge, <laughs> listeners. Next time, we're checking in with Wayne. Our challenge for this week is all to go to our own respective beaches wade into the water, find a boat, and fuck whoever's on it. Because, because you never know if you're carrying a demon with you.
0: Yeah, that's a life goal.
2: It's a life goal. That might be,
3: that would be disgusting here. and would have to be ew, wading into the Mississippi.
2: Bitch, I live by the edge of Lake Erie. <laughs> this water burns. Like literally our water blazes with fire. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm going to like swim into the water and find a deer carcass floating beside me. Obviously, if she fucked these guys, they obviously didn't. They were killed off pretty quickly, right? She just killed three men. Let's also be clear. Jay just committed a, a Tripl- homicide. homicide. <laughs> so, so <laughs> triple homicide. <laughs> <laughs> triple but, homicide. But did the boat go up in flames? Immediately after she, got immediately after she <laughs> swims away, <laughs> And the demon swims up and kills all of them.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh. She goes
3: home. We do get a glimpse of her pool, which is now empty um very symbolic
2: yeah that pool in general is very symbolic if you think about you know the usage of water and everything over the course of the film
3: paul goes up to see her he is a, a little unhappy that she picked greg over him she's like you know he's like you know i would have done it with you why did you pick greg and she said well because i really thought he'd be okay we'd actually slept together In the past. And he didn't seem scared. And so he goes in to kiss her and she pulls away and he looks up and he sees a picture of her inside that damn pool. And you can tell he gets an idea because he says, I want to help you. Do you trust me? And she says, yes. So this puts into plan kind of the climax of the movie, which he loads him up in the car They back out as they're as they back out of the the driveway, she sees this naked man standing on her roof.
2: Okay, this, this I know for sure. What where's the grandmother? I'm not completely 100% sold. I actually did read that the man on the roof is the grandfather.
3: Oh, well, he's butt ass naked for his granddaughter. How sweet! How sensual.
0: But It's also like I feel like one of the first times that you see that you see it not physically coming after her, which is weird.
3: Yeah, it's why it's just on the roof.
0: It's not following. It's watching. Which
3: is weird, right?
0: <laughs>
3: it's <voyeuristic>. a <laughs> It's on lunch. <laughs> it's on lunch. Lo- he drives them to this to a, a pool, an indoor pool. And they get to the pool and there's a little montage of them setting up all of these appliances. They're plugging on all these appliances and setting them up next to the pool. Basically, what ends up happening, I mean, I don't know know how to get to this. I mean, she gets in the pool. She's swimming in the pool. All her friends are kind of there by the side. They're not inside the pool. She's the only one in the pool. When all of a sudden she sees a figure, a guy, very burly guy in white show up. Nobody else can see him because she's like, there he is. There he is. And nobody can see him. All of a sudden, this dude starts picking up these appliances and hurling them at her. Like hurling it up. She gets hit in the head with a fucking toaster oven. She gets hit in the head with an iron. How is this girl still alive?
2: <laughs> oh, my God. I love the the sheer force this I thing know. has. I know.
3: And he hits her um, several times with
2: now you this in this moment that because the the sister Kelly says uh, what do you see and Jay doesn't give like a clear answer but it's the it's her she's father she doesn't want to tell her yeah it's their father is it her this okay. is their father yeah because yeah. and the, the reason that this is the first time I saw this movie this didn't stick as much as it actually did this time because I watched it a few times so I was looking for these details earlier in the movie there's a moment where she's looking in her bedroom mirror. And there's a picture of her and her father on the mirror. And there's a picture of her floating in her pool on her mirror. And you realize how symbolic this is because it can, now it comes down to this final moment in this pool with her and her father. Uh, it, in a way, it was almost like foreshadowing what was to come. I really kind of like that little detail. You don't really know like what happened with her father or what the relationship was, but you have this moment now where this thing has taken the form of what I'm assuming is the person she cared the most about because her father... Everything that you have seen involving her and her father looks like they had a very close relationship. But so, this whole final moment when he, that you don't see him at first, you just see her saying, I, you know, I see it. It's here. It's here. And they say, What does he look like? What, where is he? What, is, what are you seeing? She doesn't tell them. But then when you find, when you, the viewer, finally see it, it is the father. And this whole moment of him chucking these fucking TVs at her and everything, my God, like it is this poor girl, she's getting beat the fuck up. Like this plan is going awry. But one thing I do like about this whole final plan is these are a bunch of like teens. They wouldn't be able to like come up with some big, elaborate, fancy plan. They're going to do like go off of what they think is like the best idea they can come up with is to try to capture this thing. And they're kind of just like Bullshitting their way through this, they they get a bunch of electronic devices that they plug in in hopes to electrocute this thing because they think because obviously while they can't see it, it still takes a physical form. You know, this thing still responds to bullets, so obviously it's going to respond to that too. The plan just doesn't work out, but I like the way this unfolds because it really does feel like a last ditch effort to trap this thing and kill it.
3: It's a very desperate effort, but you're right. It's 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 a very teenage. Idea, you know, to think that you're going to just be able to plug in a bunch of appliances in a massive Olympic-sized swimming pool that you're going to be able to throw a blow dryer into an, into an Olympic-sized swimming pool and electrocute something. I mean, it's very innocent, it's very naive, but it fits. It fits with the characters. Yeah, now, her father. Yeah, he is hurling this shit at her, and she gets hit several times to the point where it like knocks her under the water. They're trying to. Here, Paul is trying to shoot at it, but you you can't. He can't see it. So um, Kelly gets this idea she grabs a a sheet and is you can see there is a there's a couple of shots and they don't look too bad honestly you just see you don't see anybody throwing it but you see the items being hurled in the water you're seeing them from the perspective of paul and kelly which they can't see the figure they see these like there's like the blow dryer gets picked up and hurled into the water they see that yeah. So Kelly's able to throw a sheet over it and it actually creates a figure. She puts the sheet over it and it creates the figure because it's hanging on him so that uh, Paul is able to shoot it. And he does shoot it and it falls into the water. You know, as uh, Jay is swimming to get out of the pool, it grabs her and pulls her underneath the water. And there is a real I really like this shot. When they're underwater and in the figure, her, her father, the father figure, is pulling her, and Paul is at the edge of the pool shooting, and you just see like the bullets go into the water and like fly past her. It's, it's ve- such a cool
0: shot. Yeah, it's
3: very well done. Very well done. Until one hits hits them hits him in the head. Finally, finally, this is a violent. I mean, it's not violent in terms of like you know blood gore or anything like that, but just a very like intense a couple minutes of him hurling. So this thing is finally shot in the head. They get her out of the pool. And there is this moment where she crawls back to the edge of the pool to look into the water. And it just turns blood red Roger. This is the second film in a row where we've watched where the, one of the ending shots is just water turning blood red. We had it with cherry falls. And now it's with this, the whole pool, all the pool water just turns red. Oh yeah. It's a theme. It's a theme.
2: I dare say this one did it a little bit better than Cherry Falls. Uh, (laughs) Cherry Falls literally looks like somebody went in with like a paint shop pro and just colored over the one. But uh, I mean it was the late (laughs) 90s. You know, what are you gonna do? Um, A few little things about this sequence. Um, Oh, yeah. Yara gets shot in the middle of the commotion which I like that as well. I like that like these fuckers don't know what they're doing. They're fucking idiots. They're just trying the best they can. Paul shoots goddamn Yara who goes down like a sack of potatoes uh i mean yara uh, yeah but Yara's <laughs> good for nothing but we like her nonetheless and then uh, for being such like a, a, a kind of like a ragtag thrown together idea they do still manage to make a very intense finale uh which feels like the, it has very high stakes this whole moment of her trying to swim to the surface as her father is pulling her under um it is very intense and after she gets out of the water, there's even a, a bur- like kind of like a singe mark on her leg where the hand grabbed her. Uh, that is is is, is um, it just shows like this this thing kind of like it's like this force you don't even know what it is. But even when it touches her, it's able to burn her. So it just shows just how intimidating this creature is. And then this whole moment with the water filling up, you know, turning red, clouding up with blood. It is quite beautiful. Um, it's very uh, distorted. It feels very. um art house it, it, it uh, the the way they did this i'm curious i, I doubt they just pour blood in the water and they're like film it no it looks like it was like i mean either it was digital or they did something with this effect that made it look very striking and it's a uh, one of the standout shots i would say in the movie in the sense of just be- overall beauty and composition it's definitely an interesting ending but
0: i mean like you said earlier that 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 plan that they had to fry this thing in a pool, or I—I I, the plan was still never very clear to me. But that is the most Scooby-Doo in the gang gone, gone wrong plan I've ever seen. <laughs> but it's so much fun,
2: <laughs> and it makes them like all the more endearing too. Like, cause like, honestly, I wouldn't expect any of these kids to have a better fucking idea. But like, when you think of everything that's happened, you think of the fact that they've been able to shoot this thing. You think of the fact that it's been able to respond to like, it's a physical, again, it might be invisible, but it is still a, a physical entity. Uh, it has to be able to be injured or something, you know? And so I don't think it's like, it doesn't sound like a completely bullshit idea. And they're just kind of desperate, desperate times. But um I, I really enjoy this finale and I'll say the first time I saw it, I thought it seemed very like thrown together. I didn't hit me as well. Now no having watched this a few times, knowing that these kids are just like innocent teens who are trying to figure it out, it it actually feels like unusually plausible, all things considered. Like it feels very authentic and it fits it fits their journey.
3: I would agree. The first, when I first saw this film, I, I loved everything about it until the end, until this final scene. I thought it was kind of corny, to be honest with you. However, watching it again, you know, actually watching it th- three additional times, I I really appreciated it that much more. And I, 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 I am able to tell how well done it is. And it really does. It doesn't come out of nowhere. I think that was one of the things that I thought might've, When I first saw this film, I just thought that this particular ending in a a giant indoor pool just came out of nowhere, you know, with appliances being thrown and plugged. But then you watch the film now, knowing kind of what the ending is, and you see so many, like you said, Roger, foreshadowing clues that point to this ending is going to happen, and it's done very well. Like I said, there's some beautiful cinematography, the uh, the the force, the violence that this creature is. You know, the rage in which she's throwing these appliances at this poor girl is pretty brutal. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's handled well, much better than I thought the initial first time I saw the film. So I'm a fan of this ending now, upon multiple viewings, much more than I was the first time I saw it. They get out of the pool, and this leads to our, our basically our final real finale. We get a sweet, I don't even want to know if it's sweet, but just this we get a scene of. Paul and Jay having sex. They finally go through with it. It's pretty quick. It's pretty, you know, it's not grotesque or graphic, which it doesn't need to be. I mean, I have a hard time in my mind buying or or fathoming that she would choose to have sex with this person. And I know that's shallow of me, but it's solely because of his looks She's beautiful, and he is just like this little pencil dorky looking.
2: Oh my god, Troy! <laughs> oh my god, God, Troy! Give all of your fans a little bit, a ray of hope that they may possibly have a chance with you. Now you're crushing dreams. You're trying to tell me you think this kid is attractive. Give the grasshopper some pussy, too. Come on. I'm just saying, I've slept with people miss- who are <laughs> foregoing <laughs> limbs, okay? I, have, I-, <laughs> why did I Why did I just admit that on this fucking podcast? Uh, listen, my, my standards, <laughs> there's a time and a place for everything. And this guy just... Went above and beyond. At least give him your vagina. That's all I'm saying. And now, at least. Okay. Well, something. he got it. Yeah. That was the uh, trophy, anyway, that he wanted. Just give it to him.
3: <sighs> at least he has <laughs> all of his limbs. At least.
2: Ain't it the truth?
3: They have sex together. And, you know, there's this little sh- quiet moment when they're done, and he asks her, Do you feel any different? He's like, no. Do you? He's like, no. And then we get a really quick shot of. I'm telling you, this is, despite you know he's smart because what does he do the very next day? This dude drives to the scrungiest area of De- of Detroit where all the hoes are hanging out, and he gets himself a hoe.
2: Yeah, the, the, that should have been the first thing they that. that anyone and these did. are some
3: these are some rough looking hookers. Did you see oh, these guys? But
2: it, it made it feel so very. <laughs> Real <laughs> because let me let's be real. They're like, this,
3: they're like they have cigarettes hanging out of their mouth. They're, br- I
2: would be shocked if they had three teeth combined, these girls. But I, I mean, <laughs> it, it felt like very, um, this is exactly what I expect. I would have wanted this movie to end on a note like this because honestly, you got to go in and make sure you're doing your due diligence with something like this. Like, yes, you just killed supposedly killed this thing in a pool but these things always come back for more who is going to keep this thing at bay for the longest period of time either this guy goes and he sleeps with a gay man or he sleeps with a prostitute so he picks the left in his mind the luster of two evils though i mean you know what you know, <laughs> we would have ma- we would have made sure to show him a good time if he would have swayed over to our side but um <laughs> but yeah no I, when i started watching this movie the first thing gustavo my boyfriend said was I would just sleep with a hooker. And when this happened, he was like, boy," He was so proud of him. <laughs> he, was, he was. He was proud of me, he too. He's, he's smart. He's a smart kid. And this really felt like the best ending, uh, all things considered. He's just covering all his bases. We do get a brief uh, moment of them visiting Yara in the hospital. L- listen, I got a thing to say about this. This girl just got shot. She got shot in the leg. Why is nobody concerned? Are the parents not concerned? <laughs> is nobody asking why this girl got shot? Where are the authorities? <laughs> it, it, uh, so are people just shot in the leg at willy-nilly? I guess Detroit,
3: so. Yes, they are. In Detroit, yes, they Detroit. are. So it's
2: Detroit.
3: <laughs> all, they, all they need to say, all they need to tell the cops is she was walking to school.
0: Detroit
3: and they're gonna be like okay we get it yeah that's fair <laughs> she
0: was her she makes a comment early in the movie about her parents telling her not to go near eight mile or something
3: like Oh, that. <laughs> she would, she would <laughs> run into Eminem and we wouldn't want that
2: no but that is true she does say that and maybe that does make sense as to why like they can easily pass this off as her having just been shot by I don't know I guess a homeless person or something <laughs> I don't know a drive-by. Yeah. Keep knows? in mind, I live in Cleveland, which is, like, I can say as much as I want about Detroit, but our literally our tagline is, we're not Detroit. <laughs> we're not Detroit. So, like, I can't really slam on it too much.
3: <laughs> she is reading from that damn clamshell. From- <laughs>
2: Fucking, fucking glam <laughs> oh my god. Oh, and I yeah. know,
3: you know, and I'd have to go back and like jot down exactly what she was reading. I know thematically it ties into the movie.
0: She's reading the fool or something. Yeah. The idiot or something. I've, it's like Dusty the idiot.
3: It's the idiot. Yeah. Because at the beginning, she makes a joke of that it's about Paul's life, but she's reading the idiot. But in this particular scene, she's reading a passage from it. And I know it's somehow supposed to apply thematically to the film. I just didn't bother to really write write down exactly
2: what she was saying. You hear that, hear that listeners? We're really doing our work. <laughs> We're really covering well, I mean, all the bases for you. <laughs> I was too concerned
3: with, you know, poor Paul having to sleep with those ugly broads to <laughs> focus on this scene. I was trying to get that you know, image out of my mind. So this scene, and it's such a short scene anyways. So they visit her in the hospital and then there's a scene of, of, uh, Paul and Jay walking down the street after they visit, after they visit her and, uh, in the hospital, they're holding hands. So apparently they're an item now and it's a beautiful, bright summer day. they are just walking down the street. It's super quiet. And all of a sudden you do see somebody, walking behind them. But before anything can happen, the film ends. It's very abrupt. But doesn't it start very abrupt too? It starts very abrupt. It ends very abrupt. Yeah. I mean, I guess here's my question guys, because this is, you know, without, without getting into it too much, this is just going to be the basic question. Do you think we'll start with Wayne since you're our guest. Do you think that the person that was following them in that final shot is one of these sexual transmitted demons. <laughs> um you know,
0: I, I've thought about that quite a bit, and I think my answer is I don't know. I think it's I think it's meant to be very ambiguous. It could be it could be it following, or it could just be some random person in the background. It's hard for me to like try to answer that.
3: Yeah. Oh, I get it. I get it. I'm kinda of, what about you, Roger?
2: Um, you know, I, I honestly think that Well, first of all, regardless, I think it's more just a testament to this film knowing exactly what its, like, shtick is and playing its cards very well. Because this whole movie has been about you guessing whether or not these entities in the background, these these figures in the background could be or are they, in fact, these demonic forces or is it just a random person? Like that whole joke with the girl walking up. Um, uh, walking across the field, walking up while they're sitting there talking to um to the guy that gave her the whole STD issue. It's like you know this trope comes up time and time again. So I think this is just kind of a uh, playing off the fact that they're very good at doing what they do with this whole shtick. Uh, they, they crafted this very well. Mm-hmm. I think it is because the the. It and I, th- I feel like I'm stumbling on my words because I still don't know what to call it. Like I could say it's a demon, I could say it's an entity. Whatever it is, it has a very specific gait and a very specific pace. And this figure in the background seems to be matching that. So that's literally the only reason I suspect. Yes, this is that is what it is. Um, and also because I I'm just I would love to see the story continued. I don't even necessarily want to see a sequel. But just like this creature, whatever this is, I want to know more about it. I want to know more about the mythology. So, yeah, in my mind, I'm, I'm convinced this thing can't be defeated. Another reason I'm convinced it can't be defeated is the fact that back at the pool sequence, and, and I didn't bring this up till now, it shot in the head not once but twice. It shot in the head first when the blanket gets thrown over it. It shot in the head blatantly. It falls into the pool. Then it's shot in the head again when he's grabbing onto uh, Jay's ankle. So it's pretty clear to me that this thing can't just be killed with a bullet. So whatever it is, I'm assuming it's still going strong. So at this point in the game, I'm only left to believe, yes, this this thing still has to be out there. So I'm assuming that is what it is, yes. That, that again,
3: makes sense. It's hard. It's hard because it's so... You know, I, I, I would say I, I mean, if I had to pick, if I had to choose, I would say it probably is the entity Uh, just because throughout this whole film, it has been so persistent in its pursuit. Um, And I don't necessarily with all of, with all that said and done and what we've seen, I don't necessarily really even buy that. Like you can pass it on. You know, I think that once it gets kind of fixated on you, it's 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 coming after you uh, because look, if 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 Jay did have sex with those three guys uh, on the boat or even one of them, it's still coming after her. Now, I guess we can assume that the, the, the figure came after the guys after she slept with them and killed him. But there's really no evidence of that. Right.
0: Yeah. And same thing with Paul. You don't know if he ever passed it on.
3: Yeah. I mean, so, and if he did, I mean, he passed it on to these hookers who would be sleeping with everything under the sun. So the fucking thing should be busy from here until 2030. But uh, <laughs> but it, it, it seems like it's, it's just, it doesn't matter. It's still pursuing once it gets, once it finds you, or once you get it, catch it, it's going to keep pursuing It's not going to go away. And so I, I, I tend to think that it probably was, but then again, a case could be made that it's, that it wasn't. It's so hard. It's so hard.
0: There's a lot of what ifs.
2: Oh, yeah. But doesn't that make for an impressive finale? Like, let's be real. Like, If this is a movie that really has us all sitting here debating back and forth, you know, is it or is it not still active? What if it's still alive? I mean, if it it literally leaves us thinking that hard on the topic. I think that means that this movie is accomplish its goal and ending it on such an ambiguous note really is the perfect finale for a film that started off like you said Wayne on such a a vague note it, it leaves you with just as many questions as it does answers but in a very entertaining way um and and it, it ends this movie in, in with a perfect style it knows this film knows exactly what uh, what it is and the type of style it's trying to execute and the filmmakers uh perfectly you know, wove the story from beginning to end. And they ended on this f- f- great little cliffhanger that keeps you guessing and kind of keeps you wanting more. I do want more. And you know what? I really, you know, I, I not
3: necessarily a sequel I, because I, I think to me, in my opinion, and you guys I agree, I just agree, but I feel like this is a film that would be very difficult to capture the same spirit, the dynamic atmosphere. And if you tried to redo it or do it in a sequel, I think the first film did everything it needed to do brilliantly. I don't know how the sequel would be able to capture that again, knowing the story as we do now. There would be no like, there'd be no ambiguity. There'd be no like suspense. What what makes the first film work is that we, as the audience, are learning about this entity kind of at the same time all the characters are. So a sequel, eh, I don't know if it would work so much. I would say I would have loved to have seen more from the director. Um, David Robert Mitchell, who, I mean, this was, I don't know if this was his first film. It had to been, uh, he, he didn't have a lot of experience behind his belt, but for him to come out and knock it out of the park like this, I'm really surprised that he has not followed it up with some other genre offerings. I mean, to me, he's right up there with like Ari Aster, uh, Jordan Peele in terms of someone coming out with a, a a, feature horror film that just is so, fresh, unique, electrifying, that he could have easily followed it up. And I, I, I'm i surprised he really hasn't done much since this film.
2: Yeah, that is, that is kind of mind boggling because this, this film made a lot of uh, waves when it came out initially. I remember a lot of people, both fans of the genre and otherwise, were kind of entranced with this movie. Um, I, I know you mentioned in some of these forums, you've seen some hate for it. I haven't seen as much of that. I know a lot of people that like this movie, Um, but I will say in regards to a sequel, you know, I I don't know if I would like to see a direct continuation. I like the fact this ends vague, but I would kind of like to see something set within the same universe with the same entity pursuing a completely different group of people. And we started this uh, podcast off jokingly talking about, you know, how gays would be, uh, fucks. <laughs> in the sense of, like, like, I mean, we, uh, first of all, we'd be making that demon work over time, but also like, I mean, we have a very, you know, queers, we've got a sexual, uh, way of living. <laughs> and, and I would love to see this thing <laughs> unleashed in a, a completely different environment with a completely yeah. different group of people, Uh, And really get to see it wreak havoc in a way that this film kind of held back on that a little bit. I just want to see what this thing can do. You know, I would love to see another take on the lore of of this thing and the mythology of this thing. But I don't necessarily need to see a direct sequel to this cast and their story. I think that leaving it on that cliffhanger is the perfect way to end their story.
3: Yeah, I get it. For sure, I, I don't know. I mean, it would be interesting, but I think part of the, th- I, like I said, part of the charm of this first film and what makes it work so well are the characters, their innocence, the the fact that they're naive, they're likable, they're they feel real. I mean, I think I think there were so many things in play with this film to make it as magical as I think it was the first time I saw it, and now even even more so. I really think that this is a a really well done film. Um, that definitely makes you think, makes you feel things. And again, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what I, I have seen. I have seen, I think this film is super divisive among, among horror fans, because trust me, I have seen people, I've seen polls in these stupid horror groups that are saying, Oh, what's the worst horror film you've ever seen. And I see people mention it follows. And I'm like, oh my God, you really need to see more movies then. (laughs)
2: Because there are some bad fucking movies out there. Jesus. Oh, there's
3: some bad. Yeah. Um, But that, I mean, I mean, that's it follows you guys. I mean, I, 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 I love the film. I think I even, I, I liked it even more. I mean, I loved it the first time I saw it, but upon these, you know, viewings for this particular episode, I just fell in love with it all over again. I think it does everything right. Um, so that's all I can say about it. Yeah, it follows. It to me is one
2: of the best horror films to come out of the 2010s, if not the best. Wayne, would it, give us some uh, some closing thoughts on this piece because this is your episode. This is your title, so I, I'd love to hear. Uh, in closing,
0: wow, um, wow, I've never had to do it in closing. Um, I, it's just, it, it, like, I mean, I just agree with Troy. It just, it, it is one of the best pictures to come out in, like, you know, the the two thousand tens, You know, that that teen era of of, the, of this decade, um, I don't know. Just it's 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 a it's a beautiful film. Um, it's it manages to be creepy and ambiguous. Um, it's it's it's
2: definitely worth the watch. Creepy and ambiguous, much like myself. Uh, I like the good choice of words. Wayne, your vocabulary is so much better than mine. I have the same four words I use all the time, and I have to really broaden my horizons here, so I'm going to start adding ambiguous into my vocabulary. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, honestly, I I think we're all on the same page with this film. This movie left a really good impression with a lot of people for a reason, and I think, you know what you're saying about some of these uh, responses we've seen from uh, horror fans saying it's the worst thing they've ever seen, they could go fuck themselves because this movie kicks ass. And I, uh, I, I, I'm not going to hear anything else about it. I think this movie is above all, it's unique. And there are not a lot of movies I can think of from the last 20 years as unique as this movie. So whether or not you like the mythology behind this thing and why it does what it does, you can't deny the fact that this is its own story. Unlike, most any other film within the genre and for that alone i've got to give it credit
3: well isn't that isn't that how it is though and i just want to throw this out here before we finish up we wrap up here because we're going long but isn't that the case though you see so many horror fans bitch and bitch about oh god don't doesn't don't these studios have original ideas not another halloween not another Mm scream not another texas chainsaw massacre it's the same thing with like the superhero movie people bitch about that but then you get a movie That is this original, this fresh, this unique, this stylish, and it's still not enough. Oh, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. It's (laughs) boring. It's like what people say about hereditary. I didn't get it. It was stupid. It was boring. I'm like, oh my God. Go watch Friday the 13th Part 8 and shut up. Yeah, I'm like, Hereditary, I thought was very good. Oh, I just, I, that's why I have to leave some of these horror groups, because I'm just like, oh yeah. my god, you people.
2: Don't so you know who she is? She's Troy Escamilla, podcast host, movie reviewer. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I agree, Troy, I hear you completely. And um, I don't know, I mean, I, in I, I, closing with this, I would uh, second what you said regarding wanting to see more from this specific filmmaker. Because if, if he was able to give us something this fresh and this unique, I'm sure there's gotta be other ideas floating around up there that are just as good. So let's see what he's got. He had a very bizarre follow up,
0: like a, not like a not like a follow up, like a sequel to this film, but his second his movie after this was very bizarre but interesting. It was like under the silver lake. Well,
3: I've never seen oh, it. Oh. You know, I saw that on his IMDB, but I've I've never seen it and it really made no waves. I don't think it made any impact. So it
0: was like I I felt like it was something that went under the radar, but was it's definitely like it's definitely worth the watch. It was it's interesting. Okay. I'd love
3: to check it out. I I would just like to see him return and, and get something mainstream you know, a little not that this is mainstream, but this made it into theaters. I mean, this was pretty a pretty prominent film It made, it did really well at the box office. I'd like to see mm-hmm. him be able to return, to, you know, and do something like that again. Also, um,
0: um, I think under the silver Lake, I think the score, is also a disaster piece again.
2: Oh, oh. Okay. I'm going to have to check it out. Ah, you will. Yeah. You got my attention.
0: <laughs> disaster pieces. Oh, I like that. This soundtrack plays when I'm in the shower. It's, it's amazing.
2: Yeah. It's the standout. I mean, across the board, this is an effective movie, but God, that score that score like give me more of that score because it is electric literally it sounds it has such a, a synthy electric sound to it and it, it mm-hmm. takes some of the moments that are already effective are just severely elevated because of that pulsing score so yeah across the board what a good what a good pick, what a good title wayne thank you so much for joining us in today's you episode. for having me and uh, thank you for uh, being part of the big queer horror movement. I mean, we need more of you. And we need more we need projects it. from you. And I know that you, uh, in closing, I know you are uh, working with the same team on their next endeavor. Isn't that that's correct, right?
0: Yes. Yep. So um, we did become a Monster Makeup production. So we are working on our next two films. Um, as well as a short that we are interested in doing right now, but we're just you know trying to finish up uh, with our second picture, Saint Drogo.
2: Awesome! Yeah, I saw that image of you sitting in that winter apparel, <laughs> on, the the joy <laughs> the joy radiating from your face. I, I was like, girl is not happy to be there. <laughs>
0: it was cold. cold it looks like Oh, it's like it's a a winter movie, and it's like you know on a beach, but like you know thirty degrees is negative two when you're on when you're on the water.
2: Oh, you're preaching the choir over here at Lake Erie. My God. Oh
0: my God. Yeah. Bless your little heart.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, listeners, this has been a lovely episode, and uh, next week I do want to promise you that we're going to be giving you something just as good. Uh, next week's episode is actually something I'm very excited about. How about you, Troy?
3: Oh, super excited, super, super excited.
2: We are very lucky to somehow have been i don't know uh, blessed to have somebody of uh who someone who has made quite an impression within the genre uh coming upon our humble little podcast. Um, our Ooh. our guest for our next episode is none other than director Jamie Blanks, known for directing Ooh. titles Valentine. Valentine and Urban Legend. Oh my God, I love those two movies! I know, I know, we're very lucky, and uh, I can't wait to hear that. One. I know he comes from Australia too, so he's going to have an Australian accent. My favorite, oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. He's yeah. So we will be discussing urban
3: legend with the director himself. How fucking cool is that?
0: Oh my God. That's amazing. I'm so jealous. I can't wait to hear it. I cannot wait to hear it. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you for your support. And thank you for coming on today
3: yes wayne thank you yeah for sure and just like tell uh before we go tell you know our listeners where they can find more information about you your films your upcoming projects all that fun stuff
0: yeah we are we're on the social media um we like we've been we've been making movies under monster makeup uh so we do have a page for monster makeup death drop gorgeous also has a page Um, that one seems to be the most booming right now because of all of its uh, recent releases and everything Um, as well as St. Drogo has one, but um, I I still have my, my own. So if you want to follow Wayner, I'm on Instagram, Um, but yeah, definitely check out um, monster makeup and uh, keep, uh, keep a lookout for what we're doing next.
3: We're excited. We I'm definitely excited for St. Drogo. That looks, that looks amazing so far. All the stills and images I've seen from, from the film look absolutely stunning I love the wintry atmosphere and environment that it's giving us. I'm, I'm all for that. I cannot wait.
2: Yes. You are serving us Rhode Island winter <laughs> real <laughs> in a way that I never expected experiencing it. It looks frigid, but I can't wait to see it. I mean, yeah, you guys, uh, and we've said this with each each one of the um, individuals from your, your team that has come on to our show, the the fact that you like the the quality of you guys are stepping it up across the board. Visually, it looks phenomenal. Uh, And uh, we just can't wait to see it. We can't wait to see more from you. And again, we're so happy to have had you as a guest on our little show. So thank you so much. And congrats on all of your success. Yes, absolutely. Much Much
3: deserved. Congratulations. It's amazing. And yes, thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed yourself. I did. But yeah, guys, listeners until next week with, Urban legend. Farewell for Jimmy Blanks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Good Goodbye. night. Good night.